0: Welcome to the Kitchfork Podcast, a uh, review of the indie music and culture of the uh, aughts from a kind of slightly ironic perspective, I guess you could say. Um, But I am your co-host, Liz Ryerson. And I am your other co-host, Max Cohen. And we have a special guest on today.
1: H- Hello, um, my name is Audrey Z Whitesides. Um, you uh, may or may not know me from uh, in- indie rock bands uh, such as Speedy Ortiz, uh, Mal Blum, and others I've played with over the years. Um, you may also know me. Um, that's that's probably where you'd know me from. I don't know. Maybe um, I don't know the shirts. The shirts are pretty. Good. Oh, well, yeah, man. I made some shirts, which may or may not ever happen again, but I made some shirts that say I don't want to look or be cis, and uh, people liked those shirts, so they bought them. So if you bought one or saw one, that was a, a Audrey joint as well. Um,
0: I definitely saw those at one point. <laughs>
1: yeah, um, thanks to the tax restructuring uh, on uh, freelance uh people, which is awful. Um, I don't <laughs> no, know if really I'll ever <laughs> make or sell the shirts again, because I will be losing money, perhaps. But thanks, Obama.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. Um, yeah. And, and today uh, we're looking back at a, a fairly infamous moment in indie rock history. Uh, the release of Liz Fair's self-titled album, Liz Fair.
0: Hmm. Yes, and famous for, uh, among other things, uh, its Pitchfork 0.0 score... Uh, Mm -hmm. which was given in a review by Matt LeMay, who we should say has later apologized for his review. And also they Mm -hmm. rescored their review to a uh, a a 6.0 last year, although the rescores are not canon, whatever that means. (laughs) I'll
1: also say as a musician, I would be infinitely more offended by a 6.0 than a 0.0. Because a 6.0 is like the most like, I don't know, man, I don't feel anything about this. Like, this is uh, nothing that uh, I I don't think about this when I'm not directly looking at it. But a zero is like, you know, you made people feel things. So I I would personally rather have a zero. I think they should. It's good that it's not.
2: You can look at the reviews for somebody's miracle to see like the difference between hatred and, yeah. and not having an opinion. <laughs> yeah. Hatred
0: and indifference. Yeah. yeah. Actually, the um the interesting thing is uh, in a in an interview in twenty nineteen she said she was very proud of the zero point zero score in Pitchfork, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. she was very pissed off by her the review that uh, in the New York Times that was mm-hmm. contemporary from.
2: Um, I fucking would be too, man. That's mm-hmm. so condescending. <laughs>
0: Yeah. What was the name of the author? I'm sorry. I'm looking it up.
2: Megan O'Rourke. Megan O'Rourke.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: No relation to Jim. Um,
1: <laughs> no. Think. I was going to say the other oh, no, thing about ahead. the pitchfork one, which I'm sure we'll talk about, is that the the author of that was 19 at the time. So I think, yeah, making a 19 right. year old mad enough to give you a zero is pretty cool, actually. <laughs> <laughs> That's extremely true. Uh-huh. Um, so we could start
0: with the review or do you also want we could start also with um just the how both of you got introduced to Liz Fair. Maybe maybe we'll start mm-hmm. with that before we read the review. So do either of mm-hmm. you wanna say exactly sort of how you got into Liz Fair and what was your first exposure to this particular album?
2: You're our guest, Audrey.
1: Yeah. Um I okay. I don't think I have a particularly interesting uh origin story here um I was when this album came out I guess I would have potentially been like old enough to um like I guess enjoy it um because you know I liked Avril Lavigne kind of at the time um I I uh was born in 91, so uh, I guess, what, I was 11 when this album came out. Um, so, yeah, I, I could, like, based on the things that, the, the like, narrative about what it sounds like, um, people think that the goal of this album was, I potentially could have been in a demographic where I would have heard it, but I didn't. Um, so, uh, yeah, I didn't know anything about Liz Fair at the time. Um, I think I found out about her... Um, I was probably just honestly in high school, and um, I was like the type of high schooler who would just like go on the internet and look up like one hundred greatest albums of all time, one hundred greatest albums of the nineties, one hundred great at like you know like <laughs> I was like i'm I'm going to discover good art um i'm going to to find the canonically acceptable good art in the world and i will consume all of it and so obviously exile and guyville um came up a lot there um and then i think i found so I, yeah i probably got exile and guyville like a cd off of ebay when i was 16 or so um and really loved it and then i think i found white chocolate space egg just like at the library um, oh, nice. And was like, this album fucking rips. Um, so I got super into that one and then just kind of, uh, you know, uh, got into other Liz Fair stuff along the way. But I actually never listened to this one until later in life because it had like such a reputation of everyone hating it. So I was like, well, you know, like maybe it'll be interesting, but I'll I'll come back around to that one later on. Um... So I probably didn't listen to it until like my early 20s, Um, and then I think my first opinion was like, oh, I really like some of these songs, but I don't overall, um, it's it's not my favorite one. Um, But the more I listened to it over the years, I just uh, slowly came to like it a lot more. Um, I really like the album now. Um, I think it's a great album. Uh, I think white Chocolate Space Egg is still my favorite Liz Fair album. Um, Same. it's
2: probably still the best.
1: <laughs> it's really good. Yeah. but um, this one I do come back to often still. Um, so yeah, like I said, i don't I don't think I have an especially interesting uh, you know, Liz Fair origin story or anything with this album. um but it it is one that I like a lot and listen to a lot. Um, so yeah.
2: Cool. Yeah, I honestly my start was similar, but earlier. Like, I mm-hmm. I had inherited a couple of Rolling Stone, old Rolling Stone magazines from mm-hmm. my uncle, and one of them was like a best, the greatest one hundred albums ever. Mm-hmm. And on that was like Exile and Guyville, and I think that was at that time I was young enough that most of what was selling me on records was yeah, if if somebody said that it was good art, mm-hmm. and also if the cover art was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I so so the exile and guyville cover art was great. So I got that. I would have gotten that probably when I was thirteen. So like two thousand
1: one. Okay,
2: um, was when my 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 hipster phase truly began and has never ended. Mm-hmm. Um, so like for a while, and and from there, you know, I think I got whip smart. I didn't get white spot t- chocolate space egg until much later, uh, which I think is a good thing because that's an album that appeals to me a lot more as an older person than it probably would have as a teenager. Um, but, uh, I remember when the self titled came out. So, so one of the things about like being a, a a young hipster, um, in a rural (laughs) Texas high school Mm -hmm. is that you don't share any musical interests with your friends. Um, which is fairly alienating. Um, so when I remember one of my friends mentioning, like, oh, man, have you have you heard Liz Fair? Like, you know, sometime in, two, you know, in 2003, I got really, really excited. I was like, yeah, wait, you know, Liz Fair? Um, and because uh, I, I had been keeping up. I didn't know the album had come out. Mm-hmm. And she played that album for me. And like, you know, it's not it wasn't the Liz Fair I was used to. Like, it doesn't sound anything like Whip Smart. But, um, but I, I enjoyed it. You know, the thing is I was never a big Avril Lavigne fan Mm -hmm. and I, I still to this day, I think Liz Fair's Matrix songs are better than most of Avril's Matrix songs. Like, I think they're, they're a lot more dynamic and interesting to me. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, the other half of the album is just a sort of like jangly Sheryl Crow pop that I was already predisposed to. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I liked it. It wasn't enough, I think, for me to like really revisit it or really like get into it the same way I did with like Whip's Mark or eventually uh, White Chocolate's Basic. But, um, and then for my old podcast, <laughs> I'd listen to it again because we did a Liz Fair episode. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, this really holds up. This is really like catchy and like enjoyable. And um, I think especially like compared to the albums after and like in the context of her like discography like it held up really really well so that's when I kind of came to really enjoy the self-title like I never hated it but I think I always thought of it as more of an outlier than it really is mm-hmm. um when like really the non-matrix songs aren't that different from like supernova or, or never said yeah um so like I don't know I I I've I've always really enjoyed it I get that it's maybe not meaningful or significant in the same way as people want it to be but i also never thought like exile was super deep i just thought it was like you know interesting
3: <laughs>
0: yeah i yeah it's interesting i mean i can talk about it more uh later but yeah mm-hmm. I, um my background with liz farrah is probably even less than both of you i had definitely heard of her through um I actually think there was a VH1, uh, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, one of the greatest albums of all times kind of things, and they had mm-hmm. little segments. That's how I learned who Laurie Anderson was, actually. Oh. <laughs> yes. But they, love, they had... Love it. Yeah, they had Excel and Guyville there. And I remember, For I don't know why they played a clip of Polyester Bride, because that isn't on yeah. that uh, album. But that Pretty was the one them. song that I knew. And... Um, you know, I because I had like a, a, an older brother who was into indie rock. I mean, I had the similar experience of being in rural Ohio of not having any friends to talk to about music. Um, it is like uh, it is interesting because I'm almost certain that I heard "Why Can't I" at the public pool that I worked at, the same place that I remember hearing Avril Lavigne songs. I'm pretty sure I had heard that song. Like I, I worked at like the outdoor pool like the summer and like there's a lot of music that i associate with like (laughs) like outdoor pool music Mm -hmm. for me because it was like 2003 or whatever and i definitely remember like skater boy and like uh a thousand miles by vanessa carlton which is a great song um and a a few other things but yeah i'm almost certain i heard that song uh, there, but I never really thought about it, and I I was aware of this review in Pitchfork, but I I didn't really know her music. Um when I went to Oberlin actually so I went to Oberlin College which is all, where Liz Fair went so people made a big deal about that. I think that's kind of like it is kind of funny. It's kind of indicative because that whole like culture of like indie rock was like very dominant and like overwhelming at Oberlin uh in when I went there and presumably like in the 90s as well. Um you know when she went there or late or I guess she went there in the late 80s but um so there was a there was a girl who had a had a show after me at like the radio station because uh, I was like a freshman and somebody's miracle had come out and she wrote a review for like the local student paper I think it was called the Grape and it was like. <laughs> It was like, Liz Fair. what happened? You know, and it was just like that kind of stuff. It's like, oh, you used to be cool. You know, you embodied like cool Oberlin kid or whatever. Because it was the same time that like Karen O was successful and she went Mm -hmm. to Oberlin for like Mm -hmm. a semester. So everyone, (laughs) everyone there like uh thought that she was, you know, kind of embodying that. And I remember this girl like, she actually kind of looked like Liz Fair too. And I remember being like, oh you, the review you wrote was really cool, <laughs> you know? And and she was like, uh thanks. <laughs> um but yeah, I didn't really uh hear Liz Fair until actually I heard your, your podcast. Uh <laughs> Uh, in I think 2018, I discovered your it's podcast. All full circle, <laughs> yeah. Oh and uh, I decided to listen to Exile and Guyville, and I, you know, I got into it. Um, There's a few songs from Exile and Guyville I like in particular, but um, I never really listened to this album uh, until just now, just like you know, <laughs> this this past week. You know, outside of Why Can't I, which I definitely heard mm-hmm. before. And I possibly heard extraordinary too before. That song seemed a little familiar, but mm-hmm. um, and yeah, my opinion is on this album is it's fine. <laughs> um, I don't really have strong feelings on it either way. Uh, I I do feel like it's kind of a six out of ten for me. Um, so I don't know. Perhaps there are some songs that grew on me over over the course of listening to it. Um, and, and I do agree that I don't think it's that different from some of her other music. Like, I can definitely hear the Liz Fair in those songs. Mm-hmm. And it is funny yeah. to me how something that is like a generally, you know, whatever you want to say about it, is generally a pleasant pop album caused like so much like controversy and whatever. <laughs> uh, especially considering the album that she released in 2010, Fun Style. <laughs> Uh which, oh yeah which i don't know if you've heard any of those songs but so, at least mm-hmm. one of those would probably get her canceled today.
2: Oh yeah, bollywood absolutely. I mean mm-hmm. Funstyle was
1: <laughs> Did that got a a 2.0 on pitchfork. They got that got a bad pitchfork yeah, It got as pretty well, bad. I remember.
0: The thing about Funstyle though is that in between the weird songs it's still pretty normal. Uh yeah. yeah. And and those weird songs are are actually highly entertaining, so Oh, they're great.
1: Yeah. The
0: penis colada line is maybe the greatest thing ever written. Uh-huh. Uh, the YouTuber uh, Todd in the Shadows actually did a video where he talks about Fun Style by Liz Phair. It's a pretty good video, so worth watching, because Pro we're not tip. talking about it.
2: No. No. Uh, um, no we're talking about eponymous.
0: <laughs> yes. So, uh, do we want to start by reading the the infamous review by Matt LeMay? Um, Please. Please. I can start reading it. Um, If you have any bits that uh, you want to mention, you can stop me as well. Um, Okay. So, this is from, like I said, Matt LeMay, 19-year-old Pitchfork writer in 2003. Um, Also, Pitchfork commented on this many times, famous for even back in the day paying their writers uh, next to nothing, if not nothing. So uh, also important to point out. Anyway, um, it could be said that Liz Fair's greatest asset has always been her inability to write a perfect pop song, on her 1993 debut, "Exile in Guyville," Fair's gruff voice wrapped awkward, non-hooks around flimsy, transparent chord progressions, resulting in, to everyone's surprise, uh, a certifiable indie road trip classic. Just want to interject: classic <laughs> backhanded compliment there. But
1: I, anyway, yeah, right. it's a very confusing um, statement, and a lot. I mean, you know, it's a 19-year-old. I'm not trying to rip into a 19-year-old's prose uh but to i will to everyone's surprise shit. like who's surprised like who i don't know i feel like as someone who like was a, a ta in college like i, I would be having I a also field day f- with this sentence
2: <laughs> i also feel like flimsy transparent chord progressions is a wild statement to make about liz fair who is one of the more esoteric
0: like in terms of song
2: structure songwriters um, out there
0: yeah actually the first song on exile and guyville has a very strange chord progression yeah six foot
2: one is weird uh strange loop is weird support system is weird like they it's the kind of thing that like the breeders are are honestly sadie kind of does too where you just chords happen where you don't expect them to happen Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the song I, will like twist around a lot.
0: Yeah. It is I think I think there is a d- degree of truth to what he's saying, but he's saying it in a very backhanded way, I guess. Uh in that, mm-hmm. you know, it is very skeletal in some ways and that's part of the appeal, but I don't know. Anyway, well, I'll continue with the review. Um it still stands as a powerfully confrontational album, skirting convention yet marked uh by Fair's striking awareness of her own limitations unfortunately it seems that fair spent the better part of her post-exile career trying to gloss over the very limitations that made her original statement so profound though her second album with whip-, whip smart had a few choice moments which recalled the insight and complexity of exile it ultimately seemed like a much more calculated affair things didn't start to go horribly awry of course until in, until fair's next album white chocolate space egg that records That's how you know this to- guy's full of shit <laughs> yeah. I think I think that was kind of a sentiment that was more common at the time. Although in it was, another review like, that yeah. I'll mention um another review that I'll mention in Slate uh, later, um the per- that author said that that was her best album actually in that review, so I'll give credit to that author cuz that was a contemporary review as well. Mm-hmm. But um That record's attempts to radioize her sound only dismantled uh, the depths of her music, if not the awkwardness, resulting in an odd batch of songs that perhaps encapsulated Ferrer's faulty view of what constitutes a radio-friendly album. Ten years from exile, uh, Liz has finally managed to achieve what seems to have been her goal ever since the possibility of commercial success first presented itself to her, to release an album that could have just as easily been made by anybody else. Even the songs on Liz Fair that could be considered "quote unquote" shocking or profound are gratuitous and overdetermined, eschewing the stark and accusatory insight of exile in favor of pointless f bombs, manipulative ballads, and foul mouth. Oh, okay, this is the worst (laughs) part. Foul mouth schmemanism. Incredible.
1: Schmemanism. Wow.
0: That you know. that is that is I think the worst line of the entire review. <laughs> uh-huh. um, Liz Fair has always been known for her vulgarity. Um oh, we're gonna skip ahead because she just the, they're just talking about the song "Flower," uh, which is a famous song on uh, uh-huh. Exile. It says "Flower" would seem to have a descendant in HWC Hot White Cum, in which Fair extols the virtue of semen as a beauty aid. Apparently, she says in the song, Dear Cosmos, Splooge, the new (laughs) Rouge. Excellent. She does say that. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. It's good. Yeah. She says it. Uh, but unlike the complex, alternating, cocky and self-effacing sexuality of Flower, HWC's unqualified sperm praise is entirely no. vain and degrading. Even Unqualified more degrading, sperm praise is
2: the best phrase in mm-hmm. this re- in this Th- that's review. A good, that's car. a good, phrase. Yeah.
0: Even more degrading is the constipated donkey fucker. Oh <laughs> okay, that's pretty. That's a pretty good. <laughs> that's one. pretty good too. Uh, towards the the track's end. A hilarious sideshow that only magnifies the triteness of the song's uh, glycerin-slick uh, production. And then he talks about uh, Rock Me, uh, the song Rock Me. Uh, here, Fair sings exuberantly about the benefits of an affair with a younger guy, including I shit you not, playing Xbox on his floor. Um, in between choruses, a baby, baby, baby. If it's all right, want to rock, want you to rock me all night. Fair declares, "I'm starting to think that young guys rule." <laughs> Without a trace of self doubt or reflection, it's hard to imagine that Liz Fair of ten years ago wouldn't have had something profound or devastating to say about older women who shack up with clueless college kids. I don't know, uh, but <laughs> on "Rock Me" as on the rest of Liz Fair, vapid, cliché-filled uh, rhyme couplets, Can't dominate.
1: Win. Um, yeah. I do want to quickly we can... interject here. It, again, just keep in um, mind the age of this writer. I feel like this whole part is very interesting um, because, you know, he uh, he presumably is a college kid, uh, younger right. guy. I, don't know. I, I, I take that he, that he was not an Xbox gamer, which, you know, his loss. Um, yeah, right. know, Halo Two Halo. F- came out in two thousand three. Yeah, yeah. So I, it's very interesting just to keep that in mind and like read this about like I don't. It's like because he's talking about like people who are presumably his peers. Are these Clueless College kids who plays Xbox? So it's it's. I, I just want to note the interesting desire, perhaps, t- for her to <laughs> skewer them and not like them. <laughs> is is well, that interesting.
0: I. I think it kind of goes to the tone of a lot of Pitchfork reviews, which yeah. is younger people writing as if they are older. Yes. The writing from this kind of like uh, perspective of, of you know, like older wisdom mm-hmm. that you haven't earned yet. I mean, I think that's a common thing for people mm-hmm. that age in general, but Definitely. it's like very common of that era of Pitchfork in general. Yeah.
1: I will also say I looked up. Apparently, he started writing for them when he was like 15 years old because he has reviews going back to 1999. Uh, he, he gave oh, wow. um, uh, the the Avalanche's album a 9.5. You know, okay. Pretty good album. That's... Uh, he was 15. <laughs> how did he like, you know, shout out for that.
2: seems like it would break a law.
1: Yeah. So I don't know what how you got into Pitchfork back in those days, but congrats to Matt LeMay for uh, making it work.
0: Yeah, I think Pitchfork just hired whoever, you know, was blogging or and and probably local around uh, either Minneapolis or Chicago. But yeah, just to wrap up this review, uh he mentions Why Can't I uh which is uh, as we will mention more uh co-written co Co-written, co-written by, by Avril Lavigne songwriting team The Matrix. Uh so that's also why we mentioned Avril Lavigne several times. Um And, uh, you know, and then he talks about Little Digger, which is often, you know, even in negative reviews was mentioned as like the one highlight. Um, he, he, he does even, he's even negative about Little Digger. He says it offers Mm -hmm. up all the insight and emotion of a UPN sitcom. Um, Back when UPN still existed, hey. Uh (laughs) Yeah. Uh Those are the Um, days. (laughs) But yeah, this is the last paragraph. In recent interviews, Farrah's been upfront about her hopes of mainstream success and claims full awareness that Liz Ferris is likely to alienate many of her original fans. What she doesn't seem to realize is that a collection of utterly generic rocked out pop songs isn't likely to win many new ones. Uh, It's sad that an artist as groundbreaking as Farrah would be reduced to cheap publicity stunts and hyper-commercialized teen pop. But then, this is the album she has always wanted to make, in quotes. One in which all her quirks and limitations are absorbed into a well-tested uh, cliches, and ultimately one that may as well not even exist. Okay, well that was the review.
1: Mm. 0.0. 0.0. 0. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, interesting, because, yeah, I think... I think uh, pitchfork at the time you know the choices that they made in terms of scoring were very symbolic in terms of embodying a certain mm-hmm. kind of like you know what the what the general uh atmosphere was around those scenes in those spaces and i mean it's pretty fair to say that liz fair from all that i have read about her from the beginning was always kind of Both came from like the indie rock landscape, but was always like heavily skewering it and making fun of it and trolling, (laughs) trolling it. Um, Mm -hmm. And and this was kind of, you know, I guess uh, her her next uh, evolution of that. But it is also interesting because, um, you know, of course, later he sort of recanted and made a tweet thread uh, about it um, that we can talk about after we've talked about the album more. But um, but yeah, I, I think it's like now, like pop music, I mean, post-poptimism, you know, obviously in the 2010s, pop music was much more embraced uh, in a way that it was not at the time. Mm-hmm. And even if it had come out, uh, even if this album had come out like a few years later, it probably would have been received more kindly. But yeah, that was just the nature of sort of I, the... I, I,
2: I kind of wonder about that because one of the things, especially from that paragraph on, like the narrative of her discography, is it. It felt like people were kind of waiting to pounce on Liz Fair, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. the the indie the indie literati had never been satisfied with like her post exile on Guyville work and had been kind of looking for a reason to really like get pissed off <laughs> mm-hmm. you know and this just gave them that opportunity like I, I think it especially comes out in that like chuck klosterman interview as well that we'll talk about later but it, it seems like this isn't just like somebody making a pop move at the time it's that liz fair specifically did yeah. it.
1: yeah that seems i i think that's probably true and um yeah just like <sighs> It, it's very interesting always to me, like when people create a narrative of like calling certain art made by an artist like more intentional or more, um, you know, profound, whatever that means. Um, and like so, so much like it seems like the narrative that Pitchfork and a lot of other people have spun is that almost like. You know her inability to write a perfect pop song like this almost like naive outsider artist uh, thing that came about on Exile in Guyville where she didn't know what she was doing and accidentally made this masterpiece that spoke to the depths of the human con- condition and then you know a- as she went on to like make more intentional artistic choices that um, got rid of that. Um, or and and it it's interesting that it's it's just interesting to me, like, you know, getting sentences like encapsulated Fair's faulty view of um what constitutes a radio friendly album, as though like the only two possible modes to work in are like uh naive uh like deep artist um who is like tapping into something. By eschewing any artistry or else uh, purely mercenary pop um, right. hit hunting, and like it's it's just interesting to me because to like listen to this album, the arrangements both on the Matrix songs and non Matrix songs, like there there's a lot of like um, production flourishes. Like it's not like a just straight up like brick wall album. Like one of my mm-hmm. favorite songs of all time. Is is "Cruise" by Florida Georgia Line? Um, it's a great oh, song. Oh it does dear. just fucking punch you in the face. There's like one level that every instrument is, and it's just like a wall that like it exists to be loud and like steal your brain and like not allow you to think about anything other than the hook of <laughs> "Cruise" by Florida Georgia Line. Um, I when love. Is
0: that. that song? F-
1: when is that song from? When is it from? Uh, I want to say probably like. I don't know, six years ago? I, that's a totally oh, pulled on. Okay. No, it has to be older than that. I forgot it was 2022. Uh, I would say probably from like 2014. But let me oh,
0: Okay, because a lot of pop in the 2000s was, was very brick wall. You know, yeah. that's the era of the, the loudness wars right. and all that kind of stuff.
1: But this doesn't yeah, I guess do I, this. Like know. the Liz fair no. album, like extraordinary first song, second verse, it is this like big dynamic shift where like the instrumentation totally changes. Um like the uh guitar Rock gets, Me like, does it too. Yeah, Rock like... Me does it too. Rock me has like a lot of like inverted chords, so not you know, it's mm-hmm. not just like playing power chords as loud as possible through compression. Um Like the album has a lot of like careful arrangements and like thoughts about dynamics, and um, it it doesn't just sound slick and like radio to me. I mean, obviously it has some of those things. It still is the Matrix, but like even if you listen to it compared to Avril Lavigne, which I'm gonna go ahead and say that most of the people who wrote these reviews did not listen to Avril Lavigne very much beyond. you know, hearing the songs on the, the radio. Yeah, I don't think it. These people are like sitting down and like critically engaging with "Let Go" or whatever. Um, no, so it's just interesting that to me, it's always a kind of frustrating dichotomy that gets put up of like they kind of want things to both be simple and like um, unartistic. But then any but then when something does have artistic choices being made, it gets called too simple or too stupid, which so I don't know. it's frustrating. and I I,
2: I feel like part of that goes into this idea that like they liked Liz Fair when they felt like, her art was an accident and then when uh-huh. she exerted intentionality they reacted poorly against it because she wasn't the person they thought
1: yeah she well yeah was. she she
0: wasn't the person they thought she was i think that is kind of mm-hmm. really just embodies like what the reception of this album was mm-hmm. in general yeah. and and also i mean she was like and i think this is why i i've always been a little or i haven't really sought out her work as much and always been a little cool on it is it's very like it's she is she came from like indie rock stuff and her stuff is very much like of the indie rock world even as she's like skewering it Mm -hmm. but even as she's skewering it in exile and guyville it's kind of like there's a way in which that's almost flattering to a listener like you know in that world like it's like you know some people like getting their dicks stomped on you know so <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah, it's exactly like I've, that. I've heard that um <laughs> so I, I think i think there's an element of that to uh-huh. it but but by the time that this album came out she's not speaking to those people like mm-hmm. anymore. right so i think yeah, exactly. that is also part of it um, you can see
2: that in like the the chuck again we'll, we'll get there but the chuck klossman interview you can he feels offended that he's not the one, he's not the intended audience anymore.
0: Yeah. It's, so
1: do you want to... Like,
2: oh, go ahead.
0: Oh, no, 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 finish finish what you're...
2: Oh, I was just going to go back to the dynamic things because like, I think one of the reasons why I, when this came out, I didn't really like Avril Lavigne and I like these songs is because of that sort of dynamic range within the songs. There's a lot of... you know, Avril Lavigne songs are trying to be punk in a very specific way, and so they were sort of brick-walled and power-corded. Yeah. Um whereas these songs again they have huge dynamic shifts they have some great like hooks the 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 average everyday like same hook psycho, from yeah. extraordinary yeah, yeah uh, things so i i don't like that part i love it <laughs>
0: Comes out well, of spe- nowhere it's Speaking great. of which, speaking of which, do you want to get into talking about the songs now? And then we can s- talk about some of the other stuff uh after. Is that all right? Or do you want to yeah. yeah, we could do that. Yeah. Okay. So let's just start with Extraordinary since we're talking about it right now. Mm. Great song. Great
2: song. <laughs> <laughs> um I I I really like um it's funny because of the Matrix songs on here, I think Why Can't I is my least favorite? Um when we eventually get there. But this one, I I I again I really like it because it has this sort of almost like guided by voices trick of packing a bunch of different hooks uh-huh. into like a into like their own sections of a pop song. Mm-hmm. That um it almost feels like a medley that way that I really
1: enjoy. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. I really like the backing vocals on uh the second verse. That's my favorite part of the song. Um it it's good. Um my second favorite part of the song is the like you know the the big climactic like um like make you love me i think is like it it's it's a big uh moment that like the production emphasizes um but I think it's a cool song you know i think the the chorus is definitely like a bit tongue in cheek to me I've always read um Uh, Yeah the the chorus is
0: my least favorite part of this song.
1: It's fun. It's fun to me. You know, like it. it, It's certainly not um, a sentiment I identify with. um, But (laughs) it's like a it's like a a fun thing to like sing along to. um, Like if if you're driving around and just kind of be like, yeah, sure, I'll like use this song as like four minutes where i can like tell myself i'm cool and that's kind of fun i i
0: guess i guess my issue with this song and like a lot of songs in this album and i feel like i'm probably just gonna say the same thing a lot is like the i sometimes listen to this uh this podcast like um unfortunately (laughs) the new york times uh the pop music podcast is is pretty all right um but and then they'll talk about like pop artists, and I have this thing where it's like past a certain point I almost get annoyed because there's almost not that much you can say about the mu like mm-hmm. I feel like they're stretching a little bit when talking about certain artists, and it gets me frustrated because I end up feeling like there's so many things that I would like to have this treatment, uh, and yet this particular thing is getting this treatment. And maybe that's you know not not fair but i i i feel that way a little bit about this album i just feel very o- okay about everything but not and I, I don't know i think my least favorite part is actually some of the lyrics on this album i just do not like some of them i think are funny uh like i think hot white comb is pretty funny mm-hmm. but um, Average Everyday Sane Psycho Super Goddess. That's Interpol level bad to me. I'm
1: sorry. Whoa.
0: It just doesn't, it it doesn't strike me. It, it, I don't know. It just, it, uh I don't know. I don't like it. I think I just don't like the chorus too, because a lot of these songs have hooks that I can imagine being in, um, other like Liz Fair songs, but, uh, but oftentimes the chorus just makes me be like, okay, this is something I would hear on the radio, you know? And like, I get that, you know, the more that you look at it, the more that you see that, but it just, that's just how it comes off to me. I just, I sometimes I, my ears just kind of tune out, uh, I think a little bit. And I think the chorus is an example of that on this song for me.
2: I I could see that. I think what usually pulls me back in is there's this very dorky mom humor throughout that like is such a different spin for this kind of pop music to have, like a pop music that is so innately kind of like teenage or early 20 age, Mm -hmm. um, to have that kind of personality with Uh the contrast is interesting to me. The contrast kind of keeps me engaged um, in a way that like, it, it makes me wonder for some of these songs, if it wasn't Liz Fair singing it, would I like them as much? And I don't know if I would.
1: Yeah. Um, So yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was gonna say I think that's a that is also pretty much like sums up my feeling about it, which is like almost like doing the whole matrix thing was like a way to like ensure that none of these song or these songs wouldn't be like read as like needing to like be cool, I guess, or like needing Mm -hmm. to like be a The kind of like profound, uh, vulnerable statement that people seem to want out of Liz Fair, and I I think that like they like kind of that dorkiness is is really great to me also, and like makes it is like why to me more than other pop music that maybe kind of sounds similar. It does feel like a bit. like more playful a bit um more uh yeah like you said like the mom humor of it all um i, I feel like to me as a person feels like very inviting um and mm-hmm. uh not just kind of like it makes it feel less like it's kind of just painting by numbers i guess because um it is like intentionally putting on this like like saying the the average everyday sane psycho super goddess like that's a ridiculous thing to say about yes. yourself it's very goofy and like i feel like just to um like put it in the context of like being in your thirties and psyching yourself up, uh, right? And being like, well, in the verses, being like, but am I actually that special? I'm just like taking my trash out, and then to be like, no, like I'm gonna look in the mirror, babe. You can do this. Like it, it's a good feeling. Yeah. Me.
0: I mean, that aspect of the, 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 of people being critical of her album saying like, oh, she's a mom and she's Mm -hmm. 36 years old. I think that's stupid. And I think we should have more older people like making, you know, music that is more openly sexual, like in the pot, in pop music in general. I think, I think it just, uh, so I think those criticisms are, ring really hollow and kind of you know ageist and Mm -hmm. sexist and all that kind of stuff i just feel like the music i it feels a little too cynical for me like i can hear the the bile coming off of it but not in a way that is like i i don't know there's just something very cynical about it to me where it it I and maybe this is not correct but it almost feels like she doesn't want to be there in some ways or at least it's like it it feels like such a troll to where I have I I don't know I just have a hard time with some aspects of it 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 feels because the the music just kind of glosses over and and I think also in general I think this is I'm also just coming from a place of not really liking that mode of songwriting in general, like right. that the Matrix mm-hmm. has, or like that sort of because if I, you're I not a Cheryl really, Crow
2: fan, this album isn't for you.
0: Yeah, yeah. Although I, I like Cheryl Crow's voice uh, a little more, and I I do like you know more dynamic voices, which obviously Liz Fair doesn't have, and that's fine because that's not her thing, you know. But um, I think I I think in general like and and maybe this is just being of a certain age like i have an aversion to music that sounds like mall music of a certain era like and and i think that production like really just brings me back to that again it's like it's like that pool that i worked at um and it's funny cuz like popular music i guess like lately in the last year or two like or at least last few years like you know you have like olivia rodrigo or somebody kind of like calling back upon those like kind of songwriting and tropes but like for years like popular music kind of stopped sounding like that after i don't know the mid 2000s but mm-hmm. in the late 90s and early 2000s like music that kind of sounded like this or Avril Lavigne were were pretty ever present in my experience at least in ohio oh yeah mm-hmm.
2: no no that was it was everywhere um, I thought, "Why can't I was an Avril Lavigne song for a long time? <laughs> like, <laughs> like until like somebody pointed out that it was a Liz Fair song. Be- because like there was, you know, it's for the same reason I thought Michelle Branch and Vanessa Carlton were the same yeah. person for a little while. Yeah. Um, there was a certain hom- homogeneity that's hard to overlook, having gone through it. Um, mm. and I think again, the reason why this album. Sticks out to me in the way that an Avril or a Katy Rose doesn't um, is partially the pers- like. I think I don't think I don't think your criticisms are wrong necessarily. Although I, I don't think this is a trolley It's hard to read intent. Yeah. I think after hearing Fun Style, it's hard to see this as trolling right. in the way that Fun Style is. But it's like
0: um, I, I guess I read it as being like kind of like the precursor. It's like well, I was trying to do the legit version of this, and now I'm doing the ridiculous version of this it feels
2: very true to like what in her what would be her pop instincts because again like compared to you know never said or supernova Mm -hmm. or the poppier parts of her earlier albums especially like the michael penn produced songs are not that much of a a jump Mm -hmm. Um, and even the matrix produced songs like melodically they're different but like quarterly that's not really a word but quarterly they're Mm -hmm. not
1: yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. the arrangements and, are similar for sure. So it feels like
2: to me it feels like a way to get, and it's this is going to be different for everybody it's like a window back on that that feels more tolerable because it's from a person who is closer to my age now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was like too old really when Avril hit to like get Avril, or maybe I was just, I thought I was too old. Mm-hmm. Um, and it felt like kind of Lame, uh, but Liz Fair was like an adult woman who talked about come and like playing Xbox, which wasn't lame, yeah, um, and there is a way, looking back on it, where like even now, I'm like, yeah, sing about fucking younger guys, that's awesome, <laughs> like think think sing about feeling yourself and enjoying yourself because that to me is a more genuine voice in that style than. Avril Lavigne talking about how she can't date a skater boy.
0: Yeah. Although that's not even about her, right? Because she didn't do ballet, did she? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I, I don't know. (laughs) I I agree with you, though. I mean, I think that, like I said, I, I wish just like older people and older women in particular were more represented in pop music. When you do see them represented, it's like somebody who's such a big celebrity to where it's, like, it's about them as being a big celebrity. It's like yeah. a Madonna, yeah. It's like a Madonna, and, like, Liz Ferrer was not that, so so there's a little bit, there's something a lot more, um, what's the there's word? There's something like, very normal about her. Yeah, nor- <laughs> normal, relatable, uh, Um you know.
1: Yeah, I think one other thing I do also want to call out is I feel like the Matrix thing, um, it's worth mentioning that the Matrix obviously had been very successful um, with Avril Lavigne, but and that album came out a, a year before this one, um, so you know people had had time to like listen to it and hear it. Um, but like as a production team, they weren't like this huge massive monolith. Um, like they did half of Avril Lavigne's album, like Oh. Um, then in the time between that and the Liz Fair album, they did like a Jason Mraz song, a Nick Carter song, uh, a, a Darius song, and two songs by Lilix. I don't even know who Lilix is. Um,
2: uh, no, no. But, don't know who that is
0: either.
1: Yeah. But it's interesting because I feel like all these ones are like, oh, she's doing this very generic sound. Sounds exactly like Avril Lavigne. used the producers who are... Who, but... Um, and I think there are other producers around this time who sound like The Matrix for sure. Um, like you know the stuff. On yeah.
2: What the four non-blondes lady? What was her name? Oh, uh,
1: um, I know who you mean. Um, my brain has blocked out four Blondes. But it's interesting, totally. anyway. Linda Perry. Linda Perry. Linda Perry. Sorry. Yes. Um, the the Matrix thing. It's it's not like they were like these hit makers who everyone was turning to, and like were the biggest, like, you know, influencers on the whole radio. Um, like, if you think about, like, you know, the, the year when, like, every song on the radio was, like, a Mike Will made it song a few years ago or, like, um, uh, like DJ Mustard or, like, even, like, <laughs> it, like, it would be weird to read an article about, like, Cameron's Purple Haze having Kanye West produce some songs on it and... It would be weird to be like, "Oh, Camron is chasing the commercial sound of Jay Z because of using Kanye West." Like it, it,
0: right? It's well, yeah. I I think I think part of it might come from the fact that like this kind of rock alternative, I guess you call it like mall rock or like some people called it minivan rock. I don't know. Um, a, A certain genre of music that was like. I think it was something that the indie world was like the most offended by Mm -hmm. because it was almost like the direct translation of that into pop music because rock music was still way more ascendant Mm -hmm. as a force. And like, you know, pop as we know it, you know, in the 2010s didn't really exist uh, outside of I mean, especially as like the Backstreet Boys. And and all that stuff kind of and, and as that wave like subsided, like a lot of the stuff that you heard was that kind of stuff was like the April Levine kind of stuff. So I think for somebody who's like a 14 year old pitchfork indie writer, yeah. that's the number one thing that they find the most offensive because it's the thing that is like closest to while also kind of like in 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 that view, kind of like, a you know, perversion or, or whatever mm-hmm. of of those of those things mm-hmm. it's
2: inauthentic
0: yeah it's the it's the biggest embodiment of that uh you know of 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 what's wrong with music, which is it's
2: the funny thing because when reading up on this like the one of the reasons liz fair even worked with the matrix and started going a pop direction in the first place was because
0: Capitol records bought matador yes like even also their, their indie labels yeah. were not
2: we're not indie anymore. Well, like
0: Yeah. Although they did buy themselves back at some point, but I don't think
1: they eventually,
0: had. but not at this yeah. point. Not in the period we're talking
2: about. Yeah. And so
1: like I think you know. there was something weird about the deal too, where it was like when um they like gave everyone back but Liz Fair or something. It was like some yeah. very weird thing where like she was like singled oh. out as like being kept by Capital when Matador
0: I think she was their highest selling yeah. artist like when yeah. when they started because of XL and Guyville. I'm pretty sure that was like their best selling mm-hmm. album that they had put out. So, I think that was probably part mm-hmm. of it. That she had the biggest, you know, in their eyes, the biggest chance of crossover. Actually, this is the era and I forgot to mention this, but this is the era where I think there was actually a lot of fear in the indie community about like formerly like kind of lo-fi uh, artists crossing over into the main like guide, you know like I'm thinking of guided by voices mm-hmm. like the uh, mountain goats it- did it too yeah mm-hmm. yeah or or um do the collapse which also got a bad review in pitchfork. Or or even Ween, uh, the um, white pepper, oh, yeah.
2: white pepper, yeah,
0: an, an album that like a lot of people really like now uh, was also not like viewed. I mean, Ween was never like a super critically loved, <laughs> uh, more of a cult. But but it's a similar thing of like them kind of crossing over more into the mainstream. And I think there's this more reflexive fear of like that kind of thing happening. That the that this fear of like Pitchfork is putting pushing a uh, back against very intensely and I think this is like the biggest embodiment of that for, mm-hmm. for them so do you want to go to Red Light Fever now? i awake in the
3: dark
2: good song no yeah that's the thing is like um, you kind of said it a lot of these songs are just this is a great yeah yeah
1: like i I think red light
2: fever is one of my maybe my favorite of the michael penn
0: produced songs uh, michael penn by the way uh sean Sean penn and also (laughs) uh husband at least at the time of amy man maybe still Still. okay yeah which I think um, I, I, it is funny of, uh, that Romeo and Black Jean song. Yeah. Name, I can't oh, remember. no, man. It is funny because I don't, I can't, like, the people that she's working with again are people who, even the Matrix worked with like a lot more like kind of rock adjacent mm-hmm. artists. And everyone else was kind of in that way too, like the pop side of it. Mm-hmm. And Michael Penn is a good example of, of that. And honestly, well, I don't hear, I can't hear that much difference between uh, the, the Michael Penn and the other songs. I will I, say again. I have a problem with this song and that I don't like the chorus very much. It sounds like, it sounds like mall rock to me, like the scared, the lights will turn green, you know, like, I don't know. It just sounds like other things to me. And I, I like the chorus, but this one has a little bit more of a generic, like mid tempo sound to me, which I, I don't like as much. Uh, it's not one of my favorite, favorite songs I, in this album.
2: I, I, yeah, I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing about like, I think you have a good point about the production because like the other producer is Arwald Vincent who just did the Pete Yorn album, which is like, yeah. an iconic of that of the era in which indie rock became Urban Outfitters rock. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So there is like this whole thing there. I I feel like the big difference between the the pen produced songs and the Matrix produced songs. I think they're one less dynamic. Uh. But two, the main thing is that they're not being written by the 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 matrix aren't part of the writer yeah, writing team. Yeah. So they're yeah. Just, just Liz fair uh written and you can kind of hear that.
0: Um that difference in there. Yeah. I, uh, this one was actually co-written by Gary Clark who yeah. uh is a I don't know. Is. Yeah. I don't know who that is. He's the on, this is the only song that he co-wrote on this album. Yeah. Great song. Uh, Gary.
1: Oh, he worked with Natalie Imbruglia and, and Oh, so that kind of makes sense. Um uh, he worked on the, or he he uh, helped produce a song that was on Pretty Little Liars. I've seen that, so that's, you know. Hey. Uh, all right. I think. All right. Uh, yeah. What, oh, sorry. No, I was going to say, Do you wanna finish? they were all mixed and mastered by the same people also, which I think this is like a thing that, like, you know, uh, it, it, it makes sense that the song's all kind of like Sound the same to me, I guess, because it wasn't like the Matrix where the people who were like sitting in a mixing booth being like, here's the level of the snare drum or whatever, mm-hmm. Um which I think is, you know, worth pointing out to perhaps people who if you haven't like made a, a record, I think sometimes the role of a producer gets like a uh, a bit overstated, I guess. Um, But I think, Mm -hmm. yeah, the the Matrix being co-songwriters, I think, was the big thing more so than the production angle.
0: Yeah, and only on four songs, Uh like the quote-unquote singles. Um, So, Uh speaking of that, uh, Why Can't I was the song of hers that I certainly remember hearing on the radio um, and, you know, didn't think much of. I I mean, no, I I didn't think much about it in general. I, Mm -hmm. I, I didn't have, like, a negative reaction. Um, And yeah, so if you were around at the time, that's the song that you're most likely to hear. And it was her biggest hit. It technically qualifies her as a one-hit wonder, which is kind of funny. And I think that this album did make her a decent amount of money, although probably not as much as people probably think Mm, that she made. It Uh, didn't have a lot of
2: staying power on the
0: charts. Right. Yeah, I mean, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot probably sold more copies than uh, this album did, (laughs) um, in spite of being, you know, indie or whatever. Um, But, um, and also her success was kind of like... Short-lived. I mean, she had some success from this album, but then, you know, by the time somebody's miracle came out, it was not particularly successful. And then Mm -hmm. she ended up, you know, doing, uh, soundtracking TV shows and all that stuff, which is where Fun Style came out of. But, um... But yeah, so I, even though this was a commercial hit on the radio, it was it was a uh, number twenty seven.
1: I think uh, was the
0: highest it was. Thirty
1: two is what I'm seeing. Wow, that's lower than I thought. Yeah, because
0: it, it, it was played 20, a lot. It says twenty seven on the Wikipedia. Oh no! Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's the that's the album. Oh, that's gotcha. Yeah. Thir- thirty two
1: was the song on Billboard uh, one hundred. Yes.
0: Okay. Yeah, and it uh oh, it well, you know, adult top 4 sure. uh, in the mainstream top 40 <laughs> whatever, you know, uh-huh. like some of those other I mean, there's so many songs that like are considered iconic that didn't really chart on the Hot 100 but charted on charted on like the alternative mm-hmm. quote-unquote charts, especially in the 90s, but um but yeah. Um this song is fine to me. I don't really have any uh, particular feelings about it either way. I, I really don't have anything to say about it. Um, yeah, I'll
1: say it's,
2: it's not my favorite of these songs, but I, I think it's, it's catchy. Uh,
1: the interesting thing to think about for me here, well, so I'll say, uh, I, I uh, a band that I play with, speedy R T S toured with Liz fair a couple years ago. And people at the shows love this song. Which I honestly That's didn't expect. True. Like, yeah. it, the set list was mostly, you know, probably like 50% Guyville stuff. Um, cause it was like coming after the like big Guyville anniversary tour re release of girly sound tapes and so on. Um, but, uh, Why Can't I? Extraordinary and Take a Look are the were the songs off this album that are still on the set list. Um, and people fucking love Why Can't I still, which I, I honestly didn't expect. Like, I, I was like, oh, like the Liz Fair, the people who are like going to a Liz Fair show where the set is mostly going to be Guyville songs and they like the Guyville songs and are happy about that probably are just going to try to <laughs> pretend that this album didn't exist. But no, like, um, at least within the the my experience, like this is still a song that is uh, a lot of lives fair song fans really like and get hyped for. So it, it was maybe
2: the biggest like sing like being in the crowd. It was maybe the biggest sing along. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Um. So I wonder if it was a thing where it was like people got on board from this and then like worked their way backwards. Um. And didn't just buy the one album. Like I'm I'm curious as to like what. Or if it was a thing where it was people who had been on for a while and just eventually grew to like this song. um, I'm interested. I I think it's
0: probably, I think it's probably more that Mm -hmm. if if we're guessing on people, although who knows? It's
1: just like, it doesn't
0: seem like she brought in tons of new fans who like really stuck around after this album. Um, but by the way, I want to mention uh, just finding it funny that there's a line that says "Gonna take a while for this egg to hatch." Yeah. Is she trying to get someone to transition?
1: <laughs> maybe, <God>. maybe.
0: <laughs> I-, I think that's that's pretty funny.
1: Um, it's a Pokemon yeah. reference. Oh, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Of yeah. course, of course. It's Her 2003. Xbox so. uh, boyfriend also was like, "Hey, here's a Game Boy," and. Uh, whatever. Put what would, would two thousand three have been? like be Gen three. Game Boy Advance by that point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Game
0: Boy Advance. Yeah. yeah, I remember that era fairly well. Maybe that's um, what it's about. I also like the the line "We're already wet and we're gonna go swimming." Uh-huh. It's 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 pretty blunt, but I I don't actually mind those those like very blunt sexual lines because they at least add something like interesting. Yeah, they're funny. Uh, to the songs. Yeah. Um. Do have either of you seen the video do you have any sort of comments on the on the Uh, video i think it's interesting it it does seem to be kind of about her relationship in in an app you know if i'm stretching a little bit uh her relationship with this whole idea of like canonical rock history and you know like exile and guyville being a supposed response to uh exile on main street a lot of there's a lot of things that like look like you know it's just like iconic album covers Mm -hmm. in a generic sense uh in in this video so i i guess i i view it as part of that kind of commentary
1: yeah i don't have a lot
0: of feels like it was made with like a wink yeah you know yeah it's it's a very knowing video
1: yeah um that that's about Good the song, extent though. of my thoughts on the video also. <laughs> I agree with all of She's that. wearing
0: a CBGBT t-shirt also. Yeah. It's very like commenting on that. Yeah. The whole, her whole relationship with like you know rock music as a whole and that kind of archetype, so. Yeah. Um but yeah, the next song is It's Sweet. I actually really like this song. Uh Mhm. It's one of my it's it's one of the songs on this album that I that I like. Uh... I think it's It's, the. It's really uh, weird. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the the instrumentation. Like the I don't know. Is it a? um, Is it a like? What is that instrument? It's. I have no uh, idea. I believe it's just a
1: guitar that's like um, pitched in a weird way. Like it's not a sitar because like some of this is kind of like referencing like Indian music, um, as well as there's like a lot of like blues and references on this instrumentation. I'm pretty sure this is just a guitar um that is uh produced in well, such it a it also way.
0: it also kinda has like an Appalachian like yeah. Celtic folk yeah. thing. It has a mandolin it. vibe. Like it's got that twelve string thing where the strings are a little yes. out of tune with each other. Yes. Well, it it is funny like if you think about there's like a weirdly a lot of similarities between the like celtic folk thing and indian music in terms mm-hmm. of scales and ta- and ta- and tombra. it's timbre, <laughs> <laughs> uh <tombra. laughs> i don't know how to fucking pronounce uh, no you, that you did word. it yeah. that's it yeah okay um but um that but i find it interesting but yeah I, I like this song i think because it's a little more distinctive to me actually this is the first song that like jumped out to me on this album as something that i liked on first listen Very good
2: yeah i really i really enjoy it's sweet as well um but not as much as i love rock me oh my
1: god Rock! i fucking me. love rock, rock me he's really good rock me is my favorite rock me, i think is
2: my favorite song <laughs>
1: I don't, (laughs) mm, it might be my favorite song in this album. It's definitely my favorite of the Matrix ones.
2: Absolutely. Really, big it's rock so weekend. good.
1: Yeah, it, yeah. It's just, I, it just—it
2: feels like such a well. It's such a well-crafted pop song. Uh-huh. Like it feels like almost like like a Swiss watch kind of uh, precision to how it employs all of its hooks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, texturally, it's really different throughout, which yeah. I really
0: enjoy. I think this is the one that you can most make a case of for it being kind of, of a subversive pop song. Cause I'm not really sure I feel that about some of the other songs on this album, but I can, I can feel that with this one, obviously with the subject material. Yeah. Um, I'm not like hugely into the chorus. Uh, cause I just, I think just that kind of music in general is not my thing, but I, I do think the whole, I want to play Xbox on your floor, say hi to (laughs) your roommate who's next door. Uh, you don't you don't have a dime but i don't mind who gives a damn Mm -hmm. uh i i I think it yeah your record collection don't exist you don't even know who liz fair is uh i think i can see the sincerity in that line because she probably Uh probably deliberately wanting to hook up with people who don't know who she is but but
2: but even in the chorus like it's it's a little more straightforward but there's like those this like lead line that's very like seventh heavy so yeah. it, it makes it feel a bit more like ghostly in a way that i really love like it gets into the way that like liz fair is always kind of weird with her chords yeah yeah um no,
1: the chords on this song are cool it gives
2: it they're very good chords mm-hmm. i love good chords mm-hmm. <laughs> um, um and yeah the 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 Liz the you don't even know who liz fair is is a great line mm-hmm.
1: um yeah like i said earlier i really like um, how the, the chords and the verses are like, there's a lot of inverted chords. Like it would have been really easy to just do like a straight ahead, like we're doing rock and roll. We're going to play like, you know, the, the, the big chords that just like are the most simple, uncomplicated major chords. Um, but, but it doesn't do that. Like it, it kind of like has a little bit more edge to it or a little bit more, um, there's there's just like a little like twistiness to it where like listening to it I'm like, oh okay, like you didn't have to do that and like <laughs> I, I feel like that that to me like emphasizes like the song's humor and like if you want to say subversiveness, maybe. Um I, I think it's a song that like uh it doesn't take the easy way out at any point other than like the lyrics of the chorus and that makes that feel funny to me right yeah
0: i i, would, I, would I still don't
1: that. i still don't really feel
0: the want you to rock me but i i don't know it's it's a little it again maybe it's just i just don't like that kind of music in general i think it's like it doesn't really it's so funny it, to it, me. it just it just hits me too much as sounding like other things at the time for me to like register it as being like subversive in the or is 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 hitting me in the same way that like you know the i don't know and i think maybe this is just my complaint with this like mode of songwriting is i often like the verses but don't like the chorus because they feel too obvious and i'm somebody who like both makes music and is interested in music that is very like non obvious and 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 weird so it 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 doesn't like yeah. It doesn't really hit me. But I, I I overall think the song is uh is like probably the best example of like the 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 matrix pop songs on this album though, uh because of just the theme and everything else. Mm-hmm. So as much as I say that, like I do generally think it's uh, you know, more effective at like what it's trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um so take a look is the next song. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that uh you said that the it's one of the songs that she plays from yeah. this. I, I don't really like this song very much. I, I just don't like the chorus again. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know.
1: Yeah. This one to me, like I like Amy Mann and yeah. it's it sounds a lot like Amy Mann's song, so it it's not my favorite on the album, but I do enjoy it um like uh well enough. Um yeah, I I I feel like it's just like a pretty solid song here. Like I think coming after "Rock Me," I don't have as much to say about it in general because I'm still when I'm listening to this album, I'm like, oh wow, "Rock Me," huh? Um, so yeah, <laughs> the, this one um, is just kind of like a, I guess, a breather for me afterwards. But I guess you know uh, she still likes it at least.
2: I I like it. Yeah. Um, I think I think. Especially with a lot of the Michael Penn you know, the, the solo song written stuff. There's a big jangle pop vibe. Mm-hmm. Like um almost like a Laws album vibe to this album. <sighs> mm-hmm. And it's like <laughs> my
0: my worst nemesis, Powerpuff. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's not necessarily my worst nemesis, but, <laughs> uh, there, but there, I, there's some there's some music in that genre that I really don't like, that's all it's yeah.
2: I'm a big fan of, of jangly jangly yeah, jangly yeah, yeah, pop.
1: Yeah. I like a jangler. Um
2: and so I, I enjoy Take a Look quite a bit because yeah. it really leans into that vibe.
1: Yeah. I guess for me, I, I think it's a good song. I like it. Like I said, I like Amy Man and uh, also like Jingle Pop. I don't have a lot to say about it, though. This this is like one of those songs where I'm just kind of like, yeah, I hear it and it it, it sounds good <laughs> to me. That's yeah, my critical yeah. insight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I, <laughs> Yeah, and maybe that's why I don't like uh-huh. it. It's just it's it's a very it's a very mid song for me. Uh, it's not key, and, no? and and me me calling something mid is generally not a good thing or at least I don't, I don't but yeah. But uh and and I think like I I feel similarly to this one that I do to Red Light Fever. I actually find some of the Michael Penn songs like less interesting to me mm. than than like the the Matrix ones mm-hmm. um because and I should Say that they're they're written by Liz Fair. He yes. just produced them. Yes. Um, I find but, Michael
2: Penn in general less interesting than Liz Fair or The Matrix. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I think that's that's probably a fair assessment. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of which, uh, interesting. Uh, the next song is Little Digger, and that's a song that, you know, was kind of the consensus respectable choice. And I do like the song. I think it's a, uh, you know, pretty touching lyrically and it's it's kind of gotten into my head maybe more than any other song on this album uh, after having listened, you know, probably about 5 times or so. Hey
3: this one's my favorite one this one you-
2: i really like little digger it's very sweet and like it, it has it has a big white chocolate space egg yeah. vibe, so it feels like very like a, a close like an intimate relatable normal moment being blown out to this entire song yeah um and i think it really oh. works on that
0: level mm-hmm. You know, you know, it's a great companion piece to this song. I, I always like talk about this "Playboy Mommy" by Tori Amos. Oh, perfect <laughs> companion songs. I could see that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, because it's like you know, don't judge me so harsh, little girl. You know, you got a Playboy mommy, and mm. then she says, "Dig, little digger, don't be shy. You saw your mother with another guy." Yeah. Right.
1: It's really know. nice. It's nice it it um, pulls up the I'd a, make that mixtape. A good trick of being a song that does sound like a conversation you could have with a kid, but not sounding like stupid, I guess. Like it it's like a song that like um as a listener who's like not part of that relationship, you can like really get a clear picture of like what that conversation would be like or what the dynamics of that relationship are and like maybe um But it also like it, you know, you you could say this to a a child and like it would be a good way of explaining the situation. So I think it balances that really well.
0: Apparently, um, her son is very proud of this song as an adult. Uh, Apparently, he's he's quite a fan of this song, according to her interview in The Verge Mm. uh, where they mentioned this song. That's great. Um, Yeah, I think it's. I think actually reading uh, – so I read part of her recent book mm-hmm. uh, that came out just a few years ago. And it's so interesting to me because, um, you know, we we talked about Tori Amos a couple episodes ago, one of, you know, my favorite artists. Uh, and I love her stuff so much. But reading the books that she's written, like, there are points where, you know, she's very insightful, but it's it's hard to read. This Liz Fair book is honestly one of the best, yeah. like uh, – uh, memoirs that I've read, and she mostly doesn't talk about music at all, but she is a very good writer. So a lot of respect to Liz Fair in terms of her writing, uh, because it is way more touching and way less like self involved and self absorbed mm-hmm. than a lot of like musician memoirs are. So totally recommend it. And I can see that tone of like, cause she, the, the name of the book is horror stories. And she talks about like a lot of, you know, shitty episodes in her life of, you know, things that she had, things that were bad or that she wished had gone differently. And I, and I see that the tone of that writing, I can really see mm-hmm. in kind of the tone of the writing of, of this song mm-hmm. in particular. So Yeah. True. Um, okay. So the next song is Firewalker. This
2: I think is the song I, I forget is on the album an awful
0: lot. <laughs>
1: um I yeah, I think um the thing I like about it is um the um I it, it this one to me the like uh chorus does have like a bit of like Cheryl Crowness to it. Like there's like an optimism to it. Um and like it's a, it's a bit like um uh you know ambiguous about like what it's kind of like you know you have this image of like fire and a firewalker um and then uh the the chorus goes to like a little bit more like abstract language of just being like oh yeah like change and joy and so on um so you know i i like Kind of, uh, when I listen to it, I am like interested in what kind of object joy would be compared to fire. Um, like if, if she is going to change into something strange and beautiful like joy, what would, what would that look like compared to fire? And like, but, but yeah, like I think, um, you know it, it's just a pretty uh pretty chill song overall not i think the verses say. actually verses are cool
0: yeah the the verses sound like something that could be on like exile on guyville mm-hmm. actually to me
3: my hopes are like embers
0: This song is kind of the most of maybe of any of the songs on this that sound like they could be on at least other stuff of that I've heard. I, I think the vor- the chorus again is not my favorite. I think the and maybe this is again, like I think the I like the the imagery in the verses mm-hmm. a little more than the imagery in the choruses, uh, which seem a little bit like oversimplified. Um but I, I think it's a it's a pretty solid song. Yeah. I I don't mind this one, um, and I I like I like it maybe because it it sounds, it doesn't quite sound as like polished pop or whatever as um, it sounds more like Liz Fair to me basically. Um, yeah. Okay, so the next song is favorite, and I think that's the last of the songs by uh, that uh, were co-written and co-produced by The Matrix. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's probably my least favorite one that they co-produced. Sometimes. Ironic, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't really like the song. I think partly I, I just don't really like. I you're my you're like my favorite underwear. I just don't like that one. <laughs> it doesn't work for me
2: for me it goes back to that dorky it's it feels like dorky mom humor it it clearly doesn't feel sexy but i don't yeah. think it's supposed to
1: i i like um, conceptually the struggle of this song again which i said earlier about like there's this like a uncoolness in a way that is fun the, the like contrast between like the matrix production and them having to try to make the like song which like scans awkwardly like you're my favorite underwear like trying to like make that into like a catchy hook is is like an interesting tension <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah
0: yeah, I guess I can see it. I mean, yeah, you're right that there's a corniness to mm-hmm. it. There's a corny like mom humor. I think maybe this is, I I prefer the the outright shocking to the to the to the corny. Fair. That's that's valid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um which I guess we'll get to in a couple songs. But um Yeah, I I don't know. The the chorus it just it's fine. It's it's a fine it's a fine song. I I think I just don't like some of the the mm-hmm. imagery very much. Yeah. But it, it just and it do, it doesn't really strike me as you know. Why can't I is a little bit more catchy, mm-hmm. and Rock Me is more distinctive. Um, it's so yeah, it, it doesn't stand out to me as much as like the other mm-hmm. ones that the Matrix co wrote, I guess.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um. Okay, well, next we have Love-Hate. Um, to me, one of the more forgettable songs on the album. The only Would you
2: say you have a love-hate relationship with it?
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's a little strong. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, I mean, if you combine love and hate,
2: it becomes mediocre.
0: Sure.
1: Oh, this is, yeah, this one is self-produced. This one is Bionic um, Eyes, I think, is the other self-produced
0: one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, would I? I really can't tell a huge difference between this and the pin ones. The yeah,
1: um, yeah. I mean, it's it's sonically. I think it, you know this would fit on like white chocolate space egg, um, for sure. And, uh, yeah. I I also I don't another one. I don't have a lot of strong feelings about. Um, it, it's maybe like the least optimistic or like one that's like least personally located on the album Um like it, it's a lot more about like their relationship to like being like oh man the world's kind of fucked up huh or there, there's like a lot of stuff going on here and there people sure fight with each other um
2: it feels very like jewel yeah yeah like, that there's
1: kind like a of, like, social yeah. commentary <laughs> aspect that <laughs> you, it you doesn't get your exist elsewhere
0: <laughs> you learn love from charlie sheen or what yes damn that's messed up <laughs> well <laughs> i was thinking who will save your
2: soul but was, yeah oh <laughs> i was i was thinking too.
0: of her i was thinking of the you know the intuition or whatever that song is yeah that's w- much <laughs> oh dear um, um i i kind of like the the chorus of that song but anyway that's a different <laughs> subject altogether um i i i mean the cynicism is very in in touch with our current times yeah. <laughs> the idea that nothing is gonna change yeah. so uh, i'll give her that yeah so the thing i was gonna say uh before we move on is love hate kind of has that like you know in the in the wilco episode that we did max there was um uh, uh, Jay, Jay, Bennett says something about, he's like, you know, I, let's rip off another one of those mid tempo rockers, you know, or whatever. And Jay's, mm-hmm. and, and, um, uh, Jeff Tweedy is like, I don't want to do that, man, or whatever. That's <laughs> this song is like it reads to me as like generic mid tempo rocker. I, I don't I, I don't know if Ario Speedwagon is like an accurate <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> comparison, but I get a I get a little bit of that from this song. So I think that's part of what I don't like about it. It's I,
2: I definitely don't think it's a standout. Um the the thing about this album is that even at its worst, it's pleasant. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. yeah. Like I don't think there's any song on here that I'm like I hate listening to this. Right. Yeah. Um yeah, I think that's generally true for me as well. So like even though like not my favorite on the album like I, it's it's nice to listen to. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a it's not a bad way to get from favorite to Hot White
0: Come. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, HWC <laughs> <laughs> some of that <laughs> So I, I know I know uh, we've mentioned uh, the game critic Tim Rogers before, but he like abbreviates everything. So yeah. it's I, I like read it as like a Tim Rogers thing and being like, oh yeah, that HWC. <laughs> Except they're talking about hot white cum. I think it's uh, I think it's a fun song. Yeah, it's a fun song. <laughs> it is. It's 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 goofy and it's ridiculous that people got offended by this. Like, oh yeah.
2: Like my, this is not controversial. I I can't imagine somebody who cares, but I don't like Flower. I don't like that song of Exile and Guyville. It doesn't do a whole lot for me. Mm. I think this song is a lot more interesting and fun.
0: I think both songs, both that song and this song read as like basically shit posts to me. Yeah. Like there's an element where it's like, I'm trolling you. With <laughs> with this, like yeah,
2: but obviously- flower feels like it's it's self-consciously trying to be like an edgy troll, and this is more of a fun like, you know, come on, buds, let's joke around kind of troll, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which I enjoy yeah. quite a bit.
0: I think I think the chorus. It's very simple, but it actually works for me because you know she just gets gets right to the point. (laughs) Give me your hot white cum. Well, in the contrast with the actual texture of the song, which is kind of
2: like a jaunty folk
3: tune.
0: Like it's just I I love it. It's so much fun. This is the one song that is produced by R. Walt Vincent, although it was written by a fair of um, of
1: Pete Yorn fame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he also did the last song, but oh, right, you're right, yes, you're right. One yeah. of two,
0: one of two. But yeah, I I think it's you know it's jaunty. It's it's yeah. just so funny that that people would get offended by this song to me. Because again, I I think I think maybe what is more distinctive to me about this one or maybe rock me in that same way is I can see the the subversive element like coming out a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I can see that like argument for this um, that I, you know, I don't get as much of in songs like, um, you know, take a look. or What's you know, funny to me is that like f- this
2: song is the, seems to be the most offensive to indie bros and not to like, hmm. You know, I've never seen, like, anybody else think the song was terribly offensive, and I don't think there was yeah, a moral uproar about it.
1: There, no, um, I don't think I've ever heard any, like, yeah, moralist panic about it. It was um, just, like, Indie
2: Bros being, like, again, that, like, oh, you're this is so degrading or whatever. <laughs>
1: right. Well, it's, it's,
0: it's funny because, like, it is funny that they would read Flower as being, like, it it actually from what I read in her interviews cuz I think she mentions this in her interview with the Verge. She mentions how when she blew up like it was very unexpected, you know, with Guyville. It was very unexpected and people were hearing a song like Flower a lot differently than she sort of intended, which yeah. you know, she she did obviously intend it to be a shitpost, but then she had people uh and she mentions this in her book She'd constantly have people like stalking her and being like, you know, I could be your perfect boyfriend, you know, and like say, you know, like all kinds of stuff, like all kinds of weird attention from fans. And I I think that's, you know, I think that's pretty typical with a lot of female artists like of that stature, unfortunately, probably, Mm. especially in that era. I mean, famously, the Bjork Bjork incident. Um, (laughs) But um uh, but also, I, I can see why that, like, people had this weird idea of her from a song like Flower that, like, Hot White come because it's such a joke. Uh, and they, it's such a joke that they can't be in on, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, yeah. It's, they can't, I think get, that's they big, can't be in on the joke. I think that's a big, yeah.
2: that's exactly right. I think that's a big part of it. It's not a joke for them.
0: Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, it's like, um, It makes me think of the actually the Shu shoe songs, Fabulous Muscles. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I could see that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I I agree. Like, I think it's a, it's a like jokey sex song. Um, but yeah, like the, it it makes come sound silly. Um, which it is. Which it is. But I think if you're like a person who, um, you know the the uh, engagement you want to have with Liz Fair's sexuality is like permission to be a pervert or something. Um, yeah. Like there, there's nothing really like titillating here. Like it's just like it comes funny. Like yeah, <laughs> no, there's no none of that. Like
2: Chris Gow gave this a positive review, but Chris Gow's, like comments are weirdly leering about like I, uh, these like yeah. the sex positivity <laughs> of it. Okay,
0: so, so, yeah, yeah, we should mention that Robert Crisco, mm-hmm. who is often, like, shitty towards a lot of artists that we <laughs> like. the worst person. <laughs> including Tori Amos, uh, was a huge fan of of Liz yeah. Ferrer. but his reasonings for being a fan of Liz Ferrer, first of all, I think part of it is he just likes trolling. Like, he's a contrarian, I that think, I think yeah. He's a contrarian, but also I think he hates, like, the whole indie rock world yeah. and, like, and and like the fact that Liz Farrow was always kind of trolling that, like, he hates that because it is kind of what represents like the alternative to what they view as maybe like the music critic or music industry establishment, which it, there is kind of a New York, Chicago thing going on there a little bit as mm-hmm. well, like with Pitchfork and stuff. Well, and, and he's very and, old guard, right? He's the Dean
2: of music yeah. criticism. And these are the, <laughs> this is the, the Pitchfork is like the punk frat at the animal house. He's
0: he, <laughs> Yeah. He's the paternalistic, like New York, like media kind of guy. So, Ugh. so the, yeah, I think, I think that, is part of it. I, I don't know. Actually. But the
2: way yeah, he well, frames I it. Is very much like. What he I'm so excited. That this middle-aged woman. Is making sex songs.
3: Right. Like it's a, it's
2: a weird. Perspective. To have. Generally. Uh, and I think especially given like. The. Very genuine sense of. Like. A lot of like. The sex songs on this feel like. You know. Yeah. Fucking around with the gals. And like. Making mm-hmm. dumb jokes. Yeah. And Hot White Cum is yeah. a big part of that. Yeah. Crisco
0: has this very like terse matter-of-fact like I am being cryptic kind of way of reviewing but it it's he's not saying anything intelligent with it he's saying things that are kind of of like (laughs) yeah (laughs) he's he's saying things that are kind of echoing consensus in one way or another or at least kind of just lazy judgments but he's saying it in a in a terse way it's almost like he gets away with you know being seen as this enigmatic critic because of the format and you know in the same way that maybe pitchfork did but but there is this kind of paternalistic like gatekeeper thing, but it's very like, it's like I'm being terse. It's as a substitute for like having a really sub- substantive, having really a real opinion, <laughs> having argument. anything interesting to say. Yeah. And I think that's what is the most irritating about it. And even when he's writing nice things about Liz Fair, it's hard to, it's hard to, it's it, it feels
2: like he's missing the point. Um mm, I will yeah. say, starting with Hot White Come, I think the I really enjoy the end of this album.
0: Mm. I like these oh, last four songs a lot. Um Okay, My Bionic Eyes is the next one. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know. To me, like I, I don't mind the chorus to this song, but it does read as album track to me a little yeah, bit. I could see it's, that. But but to yeah. me,
2: my favorite list of favorite songs always were the album tracks. Um mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. so it 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 hits the right like note for me you know it's like it's a good track 12
1: yeah yeah it's a very weird song like lyrically the metaphor is very weird um yeah like I'm not sure exactly what her reference like it's not the bionic man or bionic woman I don't think they could hypnotize people um (laughs) There's the whole thing, like if there's a parallel nation and I'm a secret weapon, show me a man, yeah. you and I will show you heaven. I, it's like what is any? I of don't, this? but it's
0: yeah, I don't really
1: like that line. Um, but I, I like it as a like Max said as a track twelve because like it's it's kind of like so like weird and like I like I just don't really understand what's happening in it that it makes me like it it pulls my attention. Um. To and the it, record, I guess. It's
2: nice because there I, hasn't I, been a lot of weird Liz I, Fair on this album. Yeah. Okay. Yes, yeah. I, yes. I guess I can see like that. Like the Uncle I've Alvarez got timing, Liz <laughs>
0: Fair. Uh-huh. I've got timing and attitude that can get to the baddest dude. Right? I don't know. I don't, I don't really like
2: that line. I, I, who else is going to say that, though? You know? Yeah. That, that's that's uh. kind of... you. If you don't see that as part of the joy of Liz Fair, then yeah, I could definitely see this being grating. But to me, it's Uh, like, yeah, who else is going to say something this ridiculous?
0: Yes, yes. I think this has a similar thing with love and hate for me, uh, the song, is that it it reads as kind of just like, I'm a rocker, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, okay, great, you are, I guess. No, I,
2: I I can totally get this being like, a, a, a blah thing like you you really have yeah. to buy into
0: the it's, silliness of it there's a there's a and, and and maybe maybe this isn't fair again but there's a, a often tracks that i refer to as the this album is running out of steam track <laughs> um, <laughs> and, like towards the end and uh, i don't know no, I, I, it, I read i get that. i read it a little bit that way yeah. but Actually the next song I do like So I love Friend uh, of Mine Yeah Friend of Mine's good
3: Don't have the heart to stay with You get it while you can Just because you can Get out of it And I wasted your time Denying That that's the
2: Again, like I said, I think this album ends really well. Um but friend of mine might be one of my favorites of the jangly songs. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. It does the jangly thing really well and also like um it's like so located in like a specific relationship with a that that it feels really like um it, it's engaging with that kind of like confessional mode of songwriting but like not uh not in a more like universalizable romantic uh narrative um so like you know I'm sure that a, a lot of us can relate to to some things like this and it's not like uh growing apart from someone is like a not a Uh, very common thing that happens but it's written like it's so much like to a specific person um, that I think it like that that is it's something that like jingly uh, country-ish songwriting um, can like support pretty well there's like a wistfulness you know I like the line where she says, "I wasted your time." Yeah, because
0: I think the implication that you know it was kind of her fault, or mm-hmm. at least she's like hinting that, and that's not really something you see in like a lot of. I I don't know. We we've talked about like how one of my misgivings with like popular music tropes in general is is this idea of like oh I'm I'm a badass I'm always mm-hmm. right like right. fuck the haters you know like that being such a such an overwhelming like sentiment and it what actually makes me think of you know kate bush like hounds of love where she says i've always been such the i've always been such a coward mm-hmm. you know it's like it takes some courage to kind of you know in a song kind of admit that you're kind of a person at fault in a situation absolutely or at least, you know much like, like in who to- mistakes
2: the reason which starts with i'm not a perfect person <laughs>
1: I love many
0: oh, yeah. I I yeah Hoobastink great one of the greatest
1: examples of songwriting ever. No. <laughs> I, I I think it's pre- a pretty good song. I'll say it.
0: Uh. I, I think that song I think that song got overplayed, and I yeah. think Hoobastank Stank is a bad name for a band. Those I think there's those true. combo My favorite thing, yeah. the,
2: the reason I like Hoobastank as a name is that it's it was originally Whose Butt Stanks. Okay. What? Which they then realized they couldn't get on the radio with, so they changed yeah. it to Who Stank. Who butt Stank. Well, the Butthole, okay. the Butthole Surfers were already taken. This is true, so. absolutely. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I yeah, I think friend of mine again. It feels very white chocolate space egg in a way. Yeah. In that sort of like personal fault, that sort of mid-tempo jangle country. I don't know. It it yeah. it has that vibe to me.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay, and the last song is track 14 is Good Love Never Dies, another one uh, co produced by Arwalt R. Vincent, Although written by Liz Fair, most of these, all these like last mm-hmm. five that we were talking about were all solo written by Liz Fair, we should say. Um, this song reads as fine to me. It just reads as a last song on an album. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Liz Fair um, usually has really it, good last yeah. songs.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, you know, stuff like Girl's Room or, or Strange Loop, I, I really I love. love.
1: Girl's Room is so good. Girl's Room
2: is very, very good. Um, and and this feels like the right last song for this album, you know? Like, it feels like a com- culmination of the sound that this album is about. And it has mm-hmm. this sort of epilogue vibe to it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like, it, the album certainly could have ended on Friend of Mine, I think. I don't think it would have, like... I think that would have been a perfectly fine way to end the album, uh, but this is, like you said, it's kind of like um, brings back other stuff from earlier in the album. Like, Friend of Mine is like a more specific song, I guess, or like mm-hmm. subject matter is not very much like a lot of the rest of the record, so this is kind of like a nice little uh, closing argument of like, okay, here's what I've been doing Um here's like what this music this album is doing and here's a song that does what the album is doing right <laughs> yeah
0: it
2: it, yeah. it feels like a yeah it's a closing statement uh-huh you know? for
0: for me for me the chorus is too is like it's literally will you remember me <laughs> i will remember you like that song right. like it's mm. the same hook it just sounds it reads too much like like other pop music to me, I think it's a little bit too sappy for me. Hmm. Um, I, I think uh, again because it sounds a little bit too much like that that other song. I don't even remember who that song. You was know what it feels
2: like but. a lot. It feels like the kind of movie that or kind of song that would play at the end of like one of the early aughts sex comedies.
0: Yeah,
1: like yeah. at the um, end of American yeah. Pie Two,
2: you would hear this
1: song. Yeah, I,
0: I think I think that's part of why it, I find it a little. Off footing, maybe not like I don't know. It again, it doesn't strike me as bad. It's it is like, you know, we talk about the what I call the closing the curtain mm-hmm. <laughs> moments of albums. Uh in and, and but yeah, I don't know, it just strikes me as a little too sappy and obvious, maybe uh both like musically and maybe a little bit lyrically. Mm-hmm. Um but it doesn't like it doesn't read as offensive to me or anything like that. It just yeah, I don't know. I, I you I know mean, I, I assume she's also talking about her relation her her divorce, which is by the way what happened uh, before this album came out. She got divorced, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and that kind of theme goes throughout these songs. Yeah, uh, as we've talked about them. Yeah,
2: yeah. I'm kind of just a sucker for that kind of song though, like this this sort of like wistfully. Obvious song. I don't know. It
1: Yeah. There's a um, oh go ahead. Oh go
2: ahead. No, you go ahead. Okay. Go I was
1: ahead. just gonna say, like, compared to a lot of the other songs which like reference aging, um, but usually in a more humorous way, the, this one strikes me as like the one most that like has some like naked anxiety about aging um and getting mm-hmm. older and like you know it um I think like maybe sonically, it it's not the one that sticks out to me the most. But like, as a person who is now in my thirties and like in a romantic relationship, like, yeah, like this, this is all stuff that like are anxieties that I can relate to. And like, how do you like keep a thing going? Like, how do you do that? So I I you know I'm a person who's like into sappy stuff too, though. Or um. <laughs> you know i've yeah. talked about how i love florida georgia line and who was the reason <laughs> right I listen to, like a lot of idol music and so on so i I'm, I'm perhaps more susceptible to that sort of thing but yeah it's a song that like works for me and is uh relatable to me
0: okay well that is uh liz fair by liz fair mm. um i guess we can talk about we, we usually do, so me and Max usually have done like rankings where we rank it. I okay. think we can save that until, um, rank it like with the previous albums, but I think we can save that until the end because I want to make sure that yeah. you have space to talk about the, <laughs> uh, the uh, a, a certain person who, uh, <laughs> he who should not be named.
2: <laughs> you want me to do that now?
0: We should yeah. Talk about, oh, yeah. let's uh, do let's let's do it now. Okay.
2: Yeah. I'll rip the Band-Aid off. So this is there's a reason this stuck so much in my mind is because I I remember the issue this was in, like I I had this and I. Read so this, this was magazine.
0: this was an interview in Spin magazine in 2003, right? Uh, uh yeah. By uh, Chuck Klosterman. By everyone's Damn.
2: favorite, the worst. Chuck Klosterman recently
0: wrote a book about the 90s, which uh, was, um, I, I mean, I don't know how it was like received in the mainstream, but a lot of people on Twitter rightfully banned it.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, his it's funny because, yeah, his what was his last book, the, the one with the cereal on the cover? That wasn't his last book, but the last book of his, I remember, was like really big. And I, I actually saw him read because a bunch of my friends took me to it. And it was one of the oh, worst things I've ever seen in my life. Sorry. Just absolutely insufferable stage presence. Anyways,
0: I think I think at a certain point uh, at, around the time when uh, sex, drugs, and Cocoa Puffs uh, That's became popular, Thank which you. which came out the same year, by the way, in in two thousand three. Um, I think that is around the time when there started to be like oh, definitely a backlash to Chuck yeah. Klosterman. So uh, yeah. good, um, but
2: yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so he did this interview with Liz Fair that feels very much like. Felt very much at the time, and still has always stuck with me as this sort of like, oh, this is the, and this must be the must. I feel so bad. This must have been what most of her interviews were like with these <laughs> kind of people. But yeah. like, this is very much like the Andy Bro being like, why, what, how could you betray us, Liz Fair? Yes. Um, and I, I can just read some like samples. So like one of my favorites because Liz Fair is always like about ba- like fighting back, and I think uh-huh. it's really funny. So. You know, the first one of these questions is uh, Chuck says, "It seems like you've made a massive philosophical change regarding how you want your music to sound," and she responds, <laughs> "Not really. Maybe I have from your point of view, but to call it my philosophical change would be a misnomer. My music mm-hmm. is still just me. I write the song small, and then they get produced uh, any way you want. I realize I was closely associated with a certain style early on, but I was always at war with the indie scene.
0: The, as you find that the the being at war with the indie scene is like I." don't think i fully realized like how much she came from that world both from like being at oberlin Mm -hmm. and being around like that stuff and how much she's like responding and reacting to it even in like this album uh so it that was like something that was very surprising to me like liz fair in a way is is like is indie rock or at least somebody who's like very central to you know what it is and also you know, sort of calling out what it is, which I, I find interesting. Um, so this is the next, and I didn't really know.
2: This is the next very fun turnaround because like this shows a perspective that I really hate when talking about a lot of like female artists. And I think the response is great. So, Chuck says, on that first record, it seemed like you were looking for an incredibly complex and therefore potentially transcendent yeah. romantic relationship. But on the new album, you sing about dating some young, dumb guy who plays video games all day. Listeners' <laughs> yeah. response is, I don't need to get my identity from a man anymore. <laughs> uh, when I was younger, I took my identity from being in love with someone else. And love can be transcendent, but let's face it, I'm a lot older now. I have a kid now. Your priorities change. Everything else just seems like gravy. I mean, I'm glad there's great literature and great art, and I'm glad I was able to contribute to that if I did. But right now in my life, I just need to rock. Yeah. Same <laughs> so... Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, now that I'm uh, in my mid-30s, I get it. I need to rock.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, also, I want uh, oppression against gamers to... Is very real, uh, <laughs> <was not> <laughs> young dumb guy who anti, plays anti anti gamer
0: sentiment. Yeah, anti
1: gamer yeah. sentiment. He was kind of you know maybe on the cutting edge of uh, gamer oppression, but um,
0: oh, gamer oppression was was real common. In no, the I guess 90s, that's true. I there was, yeah, I guess that's true. Which is Violence which is perfect because Chuck. Yeah, it's perfect because Chuck Klosterman, his brain still exists in the nineties. Yeah. It hasn't actually. He have, like, Actually, he actually technically doesn't exist outside the '90s. Yeah, so.
1: yeah, that's true.
0: It's in,
2: it's, it's interesting. Um, so this <laughs> next part, and this is just like the full end of the interview, which is a really great back and forth. <laughs> um, where she talks about you know, like you know, before I was like an actress who would let herself be ugly and unfiltered on screen, but now I'm like a leading lady going through the motions with the right lighting. Is that mm-hmm. a good analogy? And Chuck says, that's a perfect analogy, but I find that sentiment depressing. To which Liz responds, really? That bums me out. Uh (laughs) I know exactly what you're saying and I understand entirely, but to hear you say it's depressing makes me kind of sad. I don't know why you should be depressed. Do you feel like you've lost someone who could make you feel that way? And Chuck responds, no, that's not it. It just seems like you've made this decision too. And then Liz cuts him off with, you keep saying this was my decision. It wasn't a decision. I just don't make these songs anymore. I think this record is depressing to you because it makes you feel like you've lost a part of your own childhood and you realize you can't get that back, <laughs> but I can't make a 25 year old's record at the age of 36. It boils down to this question. Do I want to seem authentic or do I want to feel authentic? And I chose feel, um, and then there's this whole thing about exile and guy guyville. Because she says that's a totally acceptable choice, but as a consequence, do you think this record is less profound than some of your earlier work? And later on, and her answer, she says, "I think you and I might have been at the same point when I was 25, but we've we've diverged. I think it's maybe time for us to break up."
0: <laughs> God, that's that's pretty funny. It's yeah. I I guess. Oh, sorry. Finish. I was just
2: like, it's so good. I think it's like because this is not a sentiment isolated to Liz Fair. This this idea of like, mm-hmm. why aren't artists making the things they're supposed to but Mm -hmm. this is i think the most blatant and the best response i remember seeing at the time
0: like liz fair just really (laughs)
2: calling out this kind of bullshit is one of the reasons i love liz fair
0: well the the last the last question of this interview is Uh probably the worst oh yeah the
2: chuck asks what would bother you more to wake up tomorrow and be half as smart or to wake up tomorrow and be half as sexy And her response is, I'd rather be stupid and sexy. I know that's wrong, but I think you could still be happy when you're stupid. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I I think she's
1: partially trolling him at that point. Yes, absolutely. The interview has become hostile.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Chuck Clusterman is a complete fucking... Just the worst. Yeah. Fill in the blank. Uh, But um, I think when we were talking yesterday, I said I was like initially like... I was initially a little more skeptical of her. And I think part of it is hearing like the fun style stuff, like where she has tracks where, and like of obviously those tracks are trolls, but they're very mm-hmm. much like, you know, very much kind of bile directed at various people in the music yeah. industry or things like that. And it, and it reads like part of it, if you're part of it can read as a little bit delusional.
1: Sure.
3: <laughs>
0: like, um, and I, I think maybe that's just the nature of, a lot of artists in general. But see the funny thing with that is like and and I think that there's a track in particular on that um album called You Hate It that 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 really comes out, but um on, on fun style. But um the thing is like after reading her book, I, I don't see that kind of or reading parts of it, I don't see that kind of tone in that writing at all. Mm-hmm. So I think probably it's I don't know I think there's there's levels to this and I but I think she has always been kind of trolling uh, in some in one way or another Um, so I think that's that's probably part of it but um, yeah oh I the thing that I wanted to mention um, was uh, I guess just because this is indicative of like. And, you know, if we ever talk about, like, Exile and Guyville or whatever, we can talk about this more. But, you know, when she came out, like, Steve Albini said something very dismissive about her. I'm not sure exactly what... It, I, I think she he said something like that she was more talked about than heard and kind of a Damn. flash in the pan. Damn. Which but to, is something he said about a lot of artists that yeah. I end up liking a lot. Yeah, and
2: to be I fair, to- like, Steve Albini is maybe the er <laughs> chicago indie guy that, like she was making fun of with that album like uh-huh. steve albany very much represents
0: that uh, yeah abso- absolutely he is and i i think that's i think it's it's frustrating because i used to post on the electrical audio message board like for a while which is wow. his, like studios <laughs> message board well, i didn't yeah. know that
2: had a message board
0: <laughs> yeah i used to post quite a bit um and um, I always found it frustrating because like I think his general critiques of the music industry, uh, like when he's talking about the overall structure of the music industry and things like that, are almost always completely on point and like much needed and great. But then when he talks about specific artists, it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Mm. Like, it's very old, old man yeah, yells like, at cloud. Yeah, like maybe Urge Overkill is whatever. Like, who cares about Urge Overkill? I will say I did
1: re listen to, I was reading these Liz Fair things, and I was like, oh, yeah, Urge Overkill. And I did listen to Exit the Dragon. I was like, that album kind of slaps.
0: Yeah, I mean, but they're not someone... No, who, like, I, had, I forgot feel, their name
1: but, before. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> if you're listening or Joe Bergpil, I like your record. But I did forget <laughs> what you were called for about a decade It's not a, It's
2: not a good name.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really isn't. A very 90s <laughs> name. But he said similar, you know, most famously about the Pixies. He mm-hmm. called them boring college rock. I remember on the forum, he said something like, a very similar thing to what he said about Liz Ferrer about burial about burial <laughs> he's like he's like oh yeah this is like such a flash in the pan it's so like style over substance and it's like how, how's that judgment working out for you yeah. too he also fairly infamously was
2: a holdout on like sampling is an art
0: oh yeah for but decades there, the only the only reason i mention that is like there is this kind of like i mean Call it what it is, I guess, reactionary, like, undercurrent to some of that, uh, like, especially Chicago, maybe Midwestern in general, like, underground music that comes from reacting, you know, against certain tropes or ideas of the mainstream, but is, like, especially at the time, like, very invested in an idea of authenticity, which, like, is just, you know, at some level, like... At, at a material level, yes, I can totally see what someone like Steve Albini mm-hmm. is saying in terms of like, you know, certain artists that get tons of support from record labels or hype, you know, versus artists who are just doing their own thing, who are trying to like make their own way and have their own voice, who don't get coverage or exposure. I totally understand that. I I feel that, um, and it can and that can be frustrating. And it can be frustrating to also talk about. Something like this where where So clearly this album It feels like so Unfairly judged and like Overreacted to but at the same time I personally just don't consider it To be like a masterpiece or anything Um So I I guess I just kind of feel like I don't really have anything to say About it and it's Mm -hmm. unfair that like These things were said about Her and her music but I also just Don't feel it Necessarily echoed by the music all the time in the way that I would hope to or like, but I don't know. Um, I don't know if you all have thoughts about that. I did also want to read uh, Matt LeMay's like 2019 oh, response yeah. to his original review too.
1: Um, just while we we're talking about Chuck Klosterman, I, I to me I, I feel like I'm really interested in like how this interview would be received now. Because there is like this weird kind of like personal thing where he like brings the interview becomes about his feelings more so than right. like asking Liz Fair questions. Um, I mean, even at the
2: time, like as a teenager reading it, I was yeah. uncomfortable and it felt weird.
1: I Yeah, for sure. But I'm the thing that makes me interesting, like how it would be received now is just like the fact that um you know parasocial relationships is something that we talk about a lot now like especially with social media Mm. Um,
0: (laughs) shout out to shannon strucci a friend of mine (laughs) yeah which which
1: which, like you know that's a term that goes back to the 50s but like wasn't really used a lot in the mainstream um until social media like pretty recently um but it's but it's interesting that like like it's it's if I were Chuck Klosterman I can't imagine being like so unself-aware to like post this and not like be like oh this makes me look like weird and pathetic and like this uh woman is being like I'm doing this thing and it's making me happy and I'm and i'm saying to her this is depressing to me <laughs> like oh, please why are you being why are you doing this i'm sad now and i don't like it <laughs> and she's like bro what are th- you <laughs> it's it's wild that he could yeah. do that and not like feel like oh i'm like demanding something from a person who's like sitting in front of me and like I don't know her. I'm not friends with her, but I feel like I know her, and her behavior not being what I want it to be is sad to me. Like I feel like nowadays we have mm-hmm. like such a more we talk about that kind of thing so much more of like, oh, like clearly you have this parasocial view of her like you um i. Th- I
0: think, yeah, I think it also comes from the mode of rock critic that yeah. he's trying to be, yeah. which is in the sort of Lester yeah. Bang's like Again. Uh, <laughs> personal essay, self-flagellating mm-hmm. maybe slightly, but in the, in a very performative way mm-hmm. to where like his sorts of, you know, the, the, the cult of this idea of this, of, of a rock mm-hmm. critic, he's like performing that which is I think how he was able to become successful, but it's also why people hate him. <laughs> you know, people started to have more <laughs> <laughs> because Lester thing. Banks
2: has done so much damage to the world that he will never know. Yeah. <laughs>
0: mhm. Yeah. Good writer, but yeah. uh, he has done a lot. I of- like <laughs> Lester
2: Banks, but just don't. Just don't do that.
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 Um but speaking of the feelings of of a rock critic um <laughs> we can talk about Matt Lemay's response on Twitter um so when Liz Fair's book was released and there was this interview in the Verge which is a good interview by the way um from 2019 about her book horror stories um definitely worth reading that inter- interview in Vulture um uh he made a tweet thread in response which is also quoted when Pitchfork Sort of rescored mm-hmm. the album. Um, he says, "In 2019, it is almost inconceivable that there would be any controversy around an established indie musician working on a radio-friendly pop album with radio-friendly pop songwriters." To a smug 19-year-old pitch- pitchfork writer, cough, in two in 2003, it was just as inconceivable that an established indie artist would try to or want to make radio friendly pop album in the first place the idea that indie rock and radio pop are both cultural constructs languages to play with masks for an artist to try on yeah i certainly did not get that liz fair did get that before many of us did i mean that's an interesting thing to talk about uh in terms of how sensibilities have changed in terms of like this idea of indie that so many that you know pitchfork built it's mm-hmm. kind of brand around and 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 everything although i i will i will say that you know there is also the other angle of of people being so invested in this idea of of a subversive or or interesting pop song that can you know go a little too far in the other direction in the classic tweet of of Uh, What is that tweet about Um, Goop on Your Grinch? Oh, yeah. Have you ever seen this? Yeah, yeah. The classic Goop on Your Grinch tweet Uh that that kind of lampoons that. Yeah. (laughs) But anyway, look it up, uh, listener, if you would like. But um, (laughs) this is Matt LeMay again. (laughs) (laughs) It was 100% over my head that the quote-unquote authentic signifiers of Guyville and the quote-unquote inauthentic signifiers of Liz Fair were just that, signifiers, you know, like art, which is not to say that one can prefer one set of signifiers over another, Uh, but Liz Fair's self-titled album was a direct assault on the idea that indie rock was intrinsically artistic slash authentic and radio pop is constructed or inauthentic. I I don't know if it was, but maybe that's me. I I don't know if she was intentionally doing that. I I, I don't know. I mean, obviously she was trolling. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyway, that's my own interjection. Um, a year and a half before the rap against rockism, which is a famous uh, piece in the New York Times, uh, was published. Um, sort of about the whole rockism and later rockism versus pop optimism thing. I don't know. At the time. Uh, quote unquote, indie rock good slash pop music bad felt like the lingua franca of people who saw ourselves as above the culture at large. In retrospect, this was, of course, a reactive interpolation of the culture at large and a pretty toxic one at that. It was in many ways the red pill nonsense of that scene era. Okay, I don't know. Uh, the promise that young men who felt wronged by the culture at large could somehow see through the culture to find the secret truth that evaded those less smart, male, and entitled than us—that feels a little bit, uh, a little bit think PC of a framing yeah. to me. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's fully wrong though. I
2: think it's getting at something. It's,
0: it's getting at something. I just think the framing is a little bit like sure, but. I mean, what he talks about in terms of the indie rock good slash pop music bad. I mean, it really describes our entire popcast, or sorry, our entire podcast and like what we're doing in terms of like that era and like why were these indie rock things seen as more valid or useful or you know because there was this this industry, you know uh invested in it um but i i i would stop short of 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 being like oh this is a red pill uh all you know like uh internet poison kind of GamerGate esque type thing i don't know i i'm i'm maybe i'm just sensitive to that kind of framing in general because it it's gone a little overboard in in recent years but um but yeah, oh uh, here's the last line. He says, Here's the kicker. Liz Fair Going Pop casts a stark and damning light on the arrogance, entitlements, and condescension of indie rock dudes. Uh, which is exactly what Guyville had done a decade prior. I think he's right in saying that like it's doing a similar thing to what Guyville had done. Absolutely. Honestly. <laughs> Again, as that classroom
2: interview shows, like Yeah. It's a valuable service and we we salute you, Liz Fair.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, again, I, I will say, and I don't want to, you know, interject too much about this. Um, I I do feel kind of, you know, moderate about this album. I don't feel particularly strong about it, and I think that's the thing that I find a little frustrating about it to me um and i think there's actually a review in slate that was contemporary by the writer mim Udovich, which kind of summarizes some of the stuff i can read it at the end though um but is there anything else we want to talk about before before we uh before we uh rank this album also uh,
2: i'm good
1: yeah i'm i'm good okay. i don't have anything uh, else to say particularly okay
0: um, so, so just because we're doing our our typical <laughs> podcast duty <laughs> to our to our, our music nerds, it's funny that y- you both talked about mm. like growing up and being the like reading like a hundred best yes albums and all that kind of stuff because that's so much like about like kind of where where I think both of us came from or at least I came from as well like in terms of getting into music yeah um, but that. I think that impulse is what is what also goes into our uh, um, <laughs> ranking the albums yeah. at the
1: end. I played a game in high school where every day I, I read a lot of Pitchfork, so I got to a point where I would look at Pitchfork and I would just guess based on the name of the album, the artist, and like what the album looked like. I would guess what the Pitchfork score would be. I don't <laughs> know if they even had oh, blurbs in those days. Um, but I would just look at it and I'd be like, this one, they gave a 6.7 and then I would click on it. And the majority of the time I could get within like a point of what it was, which I think nice. says a wow. lot about who I was. Uh, yeah. that me- And me- a lot about who, who
2: Pitchfork were.
1: Yeah. They were very predictable.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They'd catch me <laughs> now, off guard sometimes. if you...
0: Yeah, now if you I've I played this game now where I like click through on their reviews and I'm like every single one of these is, is going to seven? get between a 6.5 <laughs> and an 8. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's almost all of them are sevens. Uh-huh. It Doesn't matter what it is. It's the most non-committal fucking score yeah. to give to uh, to anything. It's yeah. The most sellable I mean, maybe score. maybe they maybe they should just retire the the scores and just and just
1: have yeah. the no, reviews cuz they don't mean They would anything. not
2: get clicks without them.
1: The S- yeah, the have that the yeah, I know
0: but they they don't give they give everything a 7 now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um so where where do you rank this album Max?
2: Uh I would put it above the Shins. <laughs> mm-hmm. So right now my That's my fine. ranking, which I think should say a lot about me is uh at the, f- from the top down, it's Turn on the Bright Lights by Interpol, Little Earthquakes by Tori Amos, uh Yankee Hotel Foxtrot by Wilco, You Forgot It in People by Broken Social Scene. List Fair by List Fair. Oh. Oh, Inverted World. You worlds. forgot it in People
0: is below Yankee Hotel Fox. I didn't know that. Okay, yes. sorry. Continue. Oh, uh, Inverted World by
2: the Shins um, is after List Fair, and then Gay by 10 Rods or 12 Rods, whatever the fuck they are.
3: <laughs> <laughs> the
2: Rods. Okay. The Gay I, Rods.
0: I I will put this above Gay, but uh, <laughs> below Interpol. Uh Damn. Because, like, again, I wasn't, like, a huge... I think it's fine. I think uh I enjoy the the goofiness of like things like Hot White cum, even though I think musically I actually maybe like elements of the Twelve Rods thing a little more because it's a little more lo-fi and ambiguous, which is more of my taste, but I you know. Uh I'll bump Liz Fair up above that. So yeah, my rankings are Tori Amos first, little earthquakes, then you forgot it in people. Uh, then, um, I think I had uh, O Inverted World and Yankee Hotel Foxtrot Tide. Um, and then uh, Interpol, uh, this, and and then 12 Rods. So, anyway, um, I, I, I do want to read just a tiny bit from this review, just to summarize. I'll let you all get in the last word uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> about this, since, you know... We have a guest and everything else. I just wanted to get in this uh, review because I think it's I think there are elements of this review that I think are well written um, by this this article in Swate, Uh, Sorry, Slate. My God. Um, OK, this is from Mim Udovich. It says to blame commercial ambition for Liz Ferris, uh She's talking about the album. Shortcomings is fundamentally another red herring. Well tuned. This is the line that I like. uh, Oh, sorry. Well-turned, crappy pop music is and has long been both a solace and delight, even if the corporate forces that lead to its manufacture are neither. Uh, A record made by a naturally gifted pop music cynic can be a beautiful dream, precisely because it has no boundaries at all, and no aims beyond catching you in its arms and beguiling you with its enchantments until the dollars fall out of your pockets. Um, But then she says, the cynicism of... Liz Fair, on the other hand, is a problem that can't be fixed because you can hear it in the mix. Most of it is too routine and too vocally listless to be any kind of dream at all. Again, I've, I've softened on this album the more that I've listened to it, so I don't fully agree. But I think the general sentiment is interesting. The, this is the, the main thing. I. The truth is that if you have no axe to grind in the rock crit Liz Fair versus Liz Fair debate on which the record is being greeted it's neither more or, uh more nor less okay not very exciting lyrically lazy apparently more of an act of branding than self-expression but catchy enough. Now again, I know you all don't necessarily agree with that, but I th- I think at least like this critic was sort of getting at something which is a little more in line with how I feel of just analyzing the music mm-hmm. and saying like it's not because it's pop music, the whole indie rock liz critic thing like the whole that whole thing is stupid and and you know ages really poorly but yeah i i don't I don't know I just don't there's an element of the music that is a little too cynical for me to really enjoy in the same way that I could enjoy like I don't know. Someone like Sia, which also makes who also makes cynical pop music, but you know is a, a very dynamic.
1: I guess performer. I'm curious about what exactly feels cynical about it. Like just that it feels like uh, some of the production or whatever is like this is designed to get on the radio and make money. Is that the cynicism? I guess it just doesn't. There's nothing that like really jumps out about a lot of the
0: music in general yeah. to me. I think I think it's just it's. I think the the thing that I was initially frustrated with this is is just the fact that I I felt so you know middle of the road about mm. it. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and like I think the artistry of some of her songwriting is there, but it, again, like it's it's partially that mode of songwriting which so much of um, that mode of pop songwriting, especially when you talk about like the matrix is getting like the obvious hook, the most obvious sentiments out. Mm-hmm. And you can definitely feel a bit of that in this album. And I, I think it, it that element feels a little less convincing from somebody who who's more kind of a literary type person uh, with Liz fair than some other artists to me who are more blunt you know, but I, I don't know. Like I said, I'll let, I'll let you all get in the last word here because I feel like I've <laughs> spoken enough about this.
2: Oh, no, I think I think that's all very these are all very reasonable.
1: Yeah, yeah, for um, sure. I think, yeah, for me, I, I, I don't read it so much as cynical other than like, like, I guess you could say like, yeah, like, you know, definitely you can tell that. Like, you're not going to hire the Matrix if you don't want the record to be successful, for sure. But I think for me, there's, like, there is, like, a playfulness and, like, a goofiness to it that makes it feel... Like, there's no, like, contempt for the listener, you know? Um, That's, That's true. I Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, like, I don't think any of it feels, like, cynical in the way of, like, ugh, like, I'm being forced to, like, make this thing. I don't want to. Like, I'm just, like... Churning out the slop, like it, it is a bit more like broad and like pulling on like big feelings and like non non specific feelings in a lot of places, but you know I, I'm also like a a, a big. Like Garth Brooks fan. I'm a big pop country fan, as I've alluded to. And I think that, like, some of that music f- can feel so bleak and cynical. Like, the, like, you know, du- Dudes and Trucks songs can often become yeah. so bleak and dark that it-, it feels harder for me to, like, view this as being, like, completely cynical or mercenary. Like, this, this feels like, yeah, she's, like, having fun. She's, like, having, like, a good time. And, uh, making a record that she seemed to like. Um and, you know, it had commercial ambitions for sure, but it's not like the the complete depths of the human experience in the way that some music can be.
2: Yeah, and I, I, I also feel like the she's open to that it is intentionally yeah. commercial. Yeah. And I think people read that with a lot more negativity than I would. Like if, Mm -hmm. you know, you have to make a living and if you're a a single mother, you know, like I'm not Mm -hmm. against you trying to make money and, and for what it's worth, like she's doing it in a way that still feels, you know, uh, based on all apparent evidence, like artistically true to her. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So like, you know, I, I I can't find it in me to be mad about that. And the album itself is enjoyable. Like, Yeah you know it's not profound but i don't think it needs to be like i think there's value in just like having an album that is just fun that is just you're you're 30 you know you're 30 something and you want to rock out Mm -hmm. like i think that's a valuable perspective (laughs) even if it's again not necessarily like a life changing one. Mm-hmm. And I yeah, you know, I, I if I'm going to like put on an al- a Liz Fair album like for friends or at a party, I'm going to put this one on.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, that makes sense. Yeah, I I I will say I think I think when I say cynical, it's more I think it's the it's the, the bile towards the trolling the indie rock kind of guy mm. dudes. Like I can I can feel that very strongly, which you know Is uh, I don't blame her for. Let's say that I don't blame her for it. it. Yeah. Um, but it's hard sometimes because it's almost like I don't want to be reminded of some of that (laughs) stuff. You know, (laughs) for sure. I I will say, um, with you know, like we've said, her she did have success from this album, Mm -hmm. but she struggled for years after that. Um, and then you know she talks about this in her book, but she was gonna work with Ryan Adams mm-hmm. at some point yeah. um, and you know obviously that fell apart uh but in twenty nineteen she released her book. It's a really good book, honestly, like yeah. worth reading, yeah. even if you don't like Liz Fair. she barely talks about her music at all um, it's just a well written book, mm-hmm. and also like she came out with a new album last year and mm-hmm. I, I I have this song in there. A uh, really good song, kind of like a bedroom pop thing going on. I don't know. Yeah. Uh. So. Yeah, soberish you know. is
1: great. Good record.
0: Yeah. Um. So yeah, that was uh that was Liz Fair by Liz Fair. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. Um Do you have anything you want to plug? Uh. Do you have anything you want to plug, yeah. Audrey?
1: Um. Yeah, so uh first of all, you can find me um at Audrey Otherway um either on Twitter or Instagram. I don't use Instagram very much, so mostly Twitter. Um if if anyone is an early adopter of Co-host, I don't know if, if, what what's I am on co-host, co-host actually. I have I have both at Audrey and at Nintendo. So <laughs> oh my um, god. It, uh, if you're a choster and you, you feel like, uh, or if Choast blows up, uh, then that's also, you can find me on there. Um, I guess, yeah, in in terms of stuff to plug, um, like I said, I, I play with Speedy Ortiz. Um, I play with uh, Mal Blum. Uh, both, both those bands, things have been mostly quiet throughout the pandemic because it, pandemic. Um, but uh, when is this coming out? Uh, a week and a half or so, a week. Okay, yeah. Something like that. Cool. Yeah, um, Speedy Rts is playing a few shows. Um, we will be playing um, on the the twenty eighth of July. So if you if you win this record or when this <laughs> podcast comes out, um, uh, yeah, you can look up the details. But we will be playing in um, Kingston, New York, on the 29th ninth, uh, Boston. Uh, for Nice A-Fest um, on the 30th, and then in uh, Portsmouth, New Hampshire on the 1st. Um, so come to any of those BDRT shows. Um, and I think they'll be fun. Um, and uh, earlier this year, I, I played uh, guitar and bass on a couple of EPs um, by a, a songwriter named Mel Stone. You can find those on Bandcamp or any streaming services. Um, uh, so if you want to hear some guitar solos, I played some of those. I rocked in my thirties. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I was twenty nine when I recorded it. Never mind. But I was getting Uh-oh. into the thirties rocker uh, mentality. Um, and I feel like that's pretty much pretty much what I have to plug. I guess, yeah. I don't know. Think, I mostly talk about anime on social media. So if you you uh, be, know about that, <laughs> I guess. Good uh, done. Know Tates. that going
2: in.com.
1: There's uh, nothing wrong with that. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh huh.
0: Thanks.
2: Well, thanks so much for coming on, Audrey. It was so fun having you up.
1: Yeah. Uh hit me up when you do your um album on uh the Macross Delta soundtrack. I'll have a lot to yes, say about that. I'm sure you'll I be doing that will. out that episode. It's getting
0: localized. It's
1: gonna
2: be it's gonna be
1: a thing.
0: Uh, yeah i mean I honestly it might be nice to do stuff like that because i'm sure we'll get tired of talking about the the Sufjan stevens and yeah. the wilcos of the world <laughs> eventually <laughs> uh, oh my
1: god macros delta first soundtrack is the greatest album that's been released in the history of music so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i have a i, lot mean, of listen,
2: thoughts. I, I can't disagree <laughs> um
0: uh, by the way, uh if if you like this podcast, uh, you know, the usual rate and review on Apple Podcasts. We have an email. You can email us questions that we can read off on some later date. Uh it's Kitchfork at gmail.com. So please do email us or message either me or Max uh with a message if you have some interesting or, or new thoughts uh, on an album. My friend Justin Charity, who's a music critic, uh, apparently just listened to our Wilco episode. And I want to quote him here. This is what he said. Um, I've learned so much about the modern white person listening to this episode. Thank you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, no, nothing will get you closer to the modern white white person than a wilco album
0: <laughs> mm. um and i was i responded i said that's what we're here for <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, um, but anyway um yeah oh oh and next uh next episode we are talking about uh i guess drum roll mm-hmm. we are talking about uh do, what what are we talking about? Oh, Geogaddy by Boards of Canada.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah. we are
0: talking about electronic music. Finally, we are in my wheelhouse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. No, I love Geogaddy. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm super down. Uh, yeah. But in any case, uh, I have been your co-host, Liz Ryerson. I've been your other co-host, Max Kahn. And and that's Audrey.
1: And, and oh yeah, I'm Audrey Z Whiteside. Sorry, I already, did, I already did my outro, so yeah. I, my plugs. I'm <laughs> no Audrey <problem>. Z Whitesides.
0: <laughs> and um I hope you uh let's all play Xbox uh in your mm. uh what was the last Let's go
2: home and play Xbox on our
1: boyfriend's on the floors. floor. Yeah I was yeah.